בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוך השם. To be here today must mean that you have many merits. This group has many merits because as of uh, just a couple of hours ago, I, was, I didn't have a voice at all, nothing, a voice. When I would try to talk, and, uh, I sounded like uh, yeah, a viral, but it would be an upgrade. I sounded like a screaming little baby. Uh, and uh, felt terrible. But apparently Hashem wanted to uh, have this shoe and also uh, Naomi, the Baal Tabayit Tzadikah, she said, only a few people are SVP'd and I'm not sure if they're going to come. Usually we have Fidel and Olga and many other people come and, you know, uh, today only a few people are SVP'd. So, I, and then on top of it, the uh, Yetzirah had a full-blown attack on our email system. Excuse me, Tzavot. The Yetzirah had a full-blown attack, quiet attack. It's like a sniper. You don't even know he's there. On our email system, the entire Bezat Hashem email system has been down for the last 24 hours. And uh, I've been so, having a little bit of a tikkun today, so I didn't even look at my email today. I look at my email, I say, there's no new emails. It's impossible. And my life is not possible not to have uh, new emails. So I knew immediately there's something wrong, which means that a bunch of people that RSVP'd got uh, rejected. But Baruch Hashem, uh, I got somehow your email actually snuck in there. You're the only email I got today. It worked for about literally 30 seconds. Your email went through. After that, it stopped working again. But the rest of it, before and after, nothing. So Baruch Hashem. So we thought about canceling. But then we thought about what the Torah says uh, about someone that gets in the way of Torah. In the um, parasha, it talks about the klalot. talks about the curses. Aura Adam will say this. All these different curses in the Torah. One of the curses we went over in the past is someone that uh, gets in the way of Torah. Getting in the way of Torah also means canceling Shil Torah. Now why is canceling a Shil Torah such a horrible, horrible thing. I mean, sometimes people get sick. Sometimes people get busy. Sometimes people have stuff to do. But if you have a shield kavua, you already made a schedule. You already have something. Canceling it is a big deal. Why is it a big deal? Especially when it's a shield Torah, like this. The reason why it's a big deal is because every shield Torah is considered like it's pikuach nefesh. Somebody here, or somebody in the crowd that's watching online, Baruch Hashem, there's many thousands of people watch online, live and afterwards, needs to watch the shiur. Maybe somebody, somebody's, it could be hundreds of people. Something that's going to happen in the shiur is going to affect certain people in a certain way. That's almost like catching the guy before he jumps off the bridge. So now, what is it like? I called my Rav. Everything I asked my Rav. Everything. Hamash everything. So I call my Rav. He starts laughing. In the beginning, he goes, oh, you sound like, a, you know, really scary with your voice. <laughs> so if, so if, my, uh, if my voice fluctuates during this lecture, don't make fun of me. It's not nice. <laughs> so he already made fun of me. I already got the tikkun from him. 
Because so you sound really scary with this voice of yours. Which right now it's going back to it, as you can see. Yeah, it started during the lecture last night. So he says, You sound really scary. Um, I said, No, so can I cancel the lecture? I feel terrible. I'm sneezing. I'm coughing. I'm this. I'm this. My eyes over here. My face is over there. I feel terrible. He goes, Yeah, he goes, No problem. Just imagine this. If somebody was uh, on the corner and they're, uh, they're asking for a ride. They have two options. One option is you. Give them a ride. But you're really busy and you have to go somewhere. Or you don't feel good. You have a cold. The other one is a Nazi taking them to a concentration camp. Are you still busy? Are you still considering how busy you are and how sick you are and how everything? You understand? The problem is when we learn about 13 principles of faith we talked about last night and we know that one of them is that we know and attest and admit and welcome and accept the fact that there is schal and onish. There's reward and punishment. And anyone that learn a little bit about the punishment, whether it be from the Sfarim HaKadoshim, five books of Moses, from the Tanakh, or you go from Divrei Chazal, whether it be Gemara, the Zohar, books like Reshit Chochmah, Masechet Geinom, there's many, many different places you can learn about what kind of punishment a sinner against Hashem gets, what kind of punishment he gets in Olam Abba, not just this world, but Olam Abba. It's very scary. It's very scary to such an extent that if you read just the first couple of pages of Masechet Geinom in Rashid Chuchmah, you immediately get Yirat Shemaim. If you didn't have Yirat Shemaim until then, you have Yirat Shemaim at that point. It's very scary. And we're not even talking about the details, but we're just, just the fact that there is, a, there is someone responsible for punishing you. I'm not talking about the details of what they do and all that stuff. Forget about that stuff. That's already a different world. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that there's actually angels that Hashem created, like the angel Duma. His only job is to punish you. That's it. The fact that there's an angel, giant, full of eyes, full of this, like something you can't even... Is it someone responsible for punishing? That's already scary enough. You don't need to know the details, what he does, how he does. People want me to do a shul again. You don't need. You don't need. You don't need that stuff. So now, you have Am Yisrael, Am Kadosh. Hashem loves them. It's the firstborn child. It's a chosen people. Many of them don't know that there's a price to pay for being a chosen people. You have to do something about it. So they go and they waste their lives chasing money, chasing women, chasing different types of desires, not realizing that while they're chasing their desires, they're also chasing away Hashem. They're also chasing away the bracha. They're also chasing away any possibility of them having a good olamaba. So when you have it, the merit to be the one that could possibly give them a hand to get them out of the genom they're building for themselves, it's a very big responsibility. You can't take it lightly. One word you say could mamash change somebody from jumping off a bridge or not. 
So it's not a uh, the uh, grand type of uh, show where you get Oscars and uh, you get uh, standing ovations. This is Mamash saving Neshamot. So now the good news is, is that you can be a little selfish. You can be a little selfish and you can ask for Siat Dishmaya. You can ask for special help. One of the special, because Hashem gives special deals to people that do kiruv, people that are Mosrei Nefesh, to go help people do tshuva. Now there's, a, there's, there's someone that does kiruv and there's someone that does kiruv. Meaning, there's a lot of people in the kiruv world, if you will. There's a lot of people that say, oh yeah, you do kiruv, I do kiruv too. What do you do kiruv? Oh, I give CDs out. Shrecha. How often do you give CDs out? Every day, every week, every month? Oh, I have like 30 CDs in my house, and every time a friend comes over, I give him a CD. Okay, fine, that's Kiruv. You want to call Kiruv? It's fine, Kiruv. But then there's these Tzadikim. They continue ordering CDs. Sometimes they don't have any money, so give it to them for free. And what do they do? They go door to door. They put it in people's mailboxes. They put it in people's doors. On a daily basis, on a weekly basis, it's part of their life. That's Kiruv. And somebody says, listen, yeah, every time I watch a Shiur Torah, I spread it. I share it on my Facebook page. Well, how often is that? I don't know, once a week, once every couple of weeks. Okay, that's Kiruv. That's Kiruv. But then it is Tzadikim on Tim Hashem. They do anywhere from 15 to 60 different posts per day. Each post goes into tens, tens of groups, hundreds of thousands of people get our Shurim every single day. Hundreds of thousands of people get our shurim every single day. The short clips, the long clips. Tzadikim. What do they do? They take time out of their life. They take an hour, take two hours, take five hours, whatever they have extra. Time they can go hang out. Time they can do a bunch of other things. What do they do? They go take the shurim and they start spreading them for free. No pay. Volunteers. This is my cue. That's cute. Okay, the other guy that shared the video that he saw once a week, okay, it's fine, it's not a bad thing. But there's Kiruv and there's Kiruv. Then you have a guy that gives uh, Shurim once in a while. And he gets a lot of people. Gets 100, 200, 300 people. Sometimes you see some of these uh, lecturers, they look like models. This guy just came out of a uh, Vogue magazine. Fixed the beard, it's all nice, the hat is all straight, clean, just came out of the shop. The suit, tailored, especially fit, everything, psh, wow. The guy speaks with Mama's perfect English. You feel like a professor is talking to you. There's a uh, presentation in the background. And, you know, it's like, it's like one of those uh, uh, TED Talks. You ever see a TED Talk? They press a button and a picture changes. You know, PowerPoint presentations. Oh, Hashem created the world, psh, picture of the sky. Oh, there was no picture of some uh, teva or something. You know, I'll show you pictures, illustration. You got 500 people in the crowd. At the end of the lecture, somebody raises money. Who wants to donate to our wonderful causes? We save the whales. We save the, uh, the, the sheep. We save the elephants. Sometimes we save people. Every lecture, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars they raise. No problem. Mabruk, enjoy. How many people do tshuva in that shiur? How many people? 500 people showed up. How many people actually, Mamash, go from Genom to Ganeden? We're talking about Chuvah, like the guy kept Shabbat once in his life. That plenty. 
Plenty of people say, you know what, this Shabbat, I'm going to keep. Why? I don't know, I got motivated. Don't talk about that. That Baruch Hashem, we have plenty. That's not tshuva. Somebody decides, you know what, today I'm going to do tefillin. Baruch Hashem, it's mitzvah, huge. That's not tshuva. It's a mitzvah. So somebody goes to you, he watches the guy that looks like a model from Vogue magazine, watches him for two hours, an hour and a half, whatever it is, watches the other guy that raises money for another hour and a half. He's there for three hours. He says, no, all right, tomorrow I'm going to do tefillin. Tomorrow I'm going to order kosher from uh, some kosher restaurant. This week I'm going to read tailing once a day. Next week I'm going to do netilat yadayim. A month later I'm going to do asher yatsam. But learning Torah every day? Come on, no, what am I doing? A charidi. Relax, I just relax. Rabbi, relax. What am I, charidi? Why I look at charidi to you? Still has an earring here, 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 and here, and sometimes over there. Still has earrings everywhere. Learn Torah every day. Oh, come on, relax. Shabbat? Ah, Shabbat is my best day of work. Shabbat is when I sell the most amount of cars. Shabbat is when I make all my deals. Shabbat is when I go to the casino, put 50,000 on the table, Texas Hold'em. You want me to give that up, Rabbi? Why? I look haridi to you. Don't be a machmir. So yeah, you got a lot of people. How many people do tshuva for these kiruv professionals? Unfortunately, not many. Not many. This is not an insult. This is a reality. You can ask them. They'll tell you the same thing. To go from Genom to Ganeden, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen from one lecture. It doesn't happen from one video. It's follow-up appointments. And then follow-up questions. And then follow-up medicine that's custom-made for each and every single person. It's a permanent, lifelong rehab. Very good analogy. And that takes time and it takes veins of steel. And the reason why a serious emunah, like Vodo was saying, serious emunah in Hashem, because when you tell people the truth, the truth hurts 99% of the time. The truth hurts. If I tell somebody, listen, you're great, Shabbat, you're amazing. even. You're the most generous guy I know. Shrecha. But as a husband, you're a filthy human being. You, Mamash Rashana, was your little Haman. Haman was better than you. He was nice to his wife, actually. He was nice to his wife, Haman. Yes, according to the he was nice to his wife. He didn't yell at her. But you have many Jews not only yelling at their uh, wives, they beat them up. Why? Because the food was cold when they got home. The food was cold. Tach. Food was don't make sure it's hot next time. There's a lot of chole nefesh that think they're religious. Sometimes they're black and white. Sometimes their beards reach the floor. Sometimes they look regular. Whatever it is, but tshuva they haven't done yet. Even if they were born religious, because no one actually told them you actually need to do tshuva. And the reason why is because to tell somebody you have to do tshuva and tell them what's really wrong with them, that they don't know how to be a parent, they don't know how to be a husband, they're cheap, 
They're this. They're, you know, tell them about their bad midot, their bad character traits in your own innovative way. You don't necessarily need to do it in an insulting way, but you have to tell them. To tell them that means automatically there's at least a 90% chance you're going to become an enemy. Why? Gemarai Masechet Shabbat says no one sees the wrong in themselves. Gemarai Masechet Shabbat 116. No one sees the wrong in themselves. Meaning, the guy could be looking at the mirror and he has holes in his arms, his eyes falling out and everything else. And he just, what does he see? He sees the three, four, five people behind him that are wearing shorts. He's like, hey, it's Beknesset, you shouldn't wear shorts. He doesn't notice the fact that his eye is falling, his arm is missing. He doesn't feel it. He doesn't doesn't notice that he looks like a zombie. He noticed the other guy is not wearing a big keeper. Oh, what is that? What is that? Is that a black keeper? No, it's uh, it's not a black keeper. That's a white keeper. We don't wear white keepers in our communities. That's what you're worried about? The black keeper? The white keeper? What about the inside keeper? What about the inside? So... To really tell people the truth hurts. And it's a necessary job. And until these, uh, maybe uh, the early 1900s, even late 1800s, there used to be Bale Musal. There was Bale Musal that used to go from town to town and their job was to rebuke the people. That was their job. Wasn't to tell people, hey, Ashrecha, you have Emunah, wow, you got Tzadikim, come, wow, nothing. They came, Amash, they heard somebody says, listen, this Keilah in this community, they're getting weaker. What? Put the suitcase, that's it. Like men in black. They go to the community, Reshai, what are you doing? You know, you're going against Hashem. He gave you food. He gave you this. You know, what's happened to us in Bet HaMikdash? Mamash. But now, after someone like Rabbi Hillel Mikalmaya, that I've been telling you about the last couple of weeks, people knew this guy is uh, Mamash. This guy is Moshe Rabbeinu of his generation. Rebuke, rebuke. Everybody leaves the lecture crying. People are not coming out, oh, wow, it's such a powerful lecture. I feel so strong. No, everybody's a chatanu avinu pashanu, crying tears. They realize how much is wrong with them. So eventually, people say, "I don't know." He's coming. I'm not going. I'm not going. Come to lecture. I'm not going. You last time he got five hundred people. This time, five people want to show up. Five people send the RSVP. So what does he do? He used to say, he used to be clever. No, no, no. This time, I'm going to show you. How a Jew can marry two wives. Because the Rabbi Rabbeinu Gershom outlawed it. Used to, you know, um, polygamy, according to the Torah, is allowed. Meaning marrying more than one wife, as long as the original wife allows it. Allowed. No. A thousand years ago, Rabbeinu Gershom outlawed it. Why? He says that at this stage, already a thousand years ago, the Avdil us today, a thousand years ago, he says, anyone marries more than one wife, he's not doing it for the biblical reason. He's not doing it because the Torah says, boo, boo, make mitzvot. No, he's doing it because he's got a sick mind. He wants multiple people, he wants to do crazy things. He's not doing it for Kedushah. Not allowed. Outlawed it, not allowed. 
There's only very, very few communities like in Yemen and deep parts of Morocco that pretty much don't even have electricity in many of the cases. They've completely are, you know, third world countries pretty much. Certain sections of them, not all of them obviously. Certain sections of them are still third world countries. They haven't advanced. So the people there are still holding by the Torah. But the 99% of the rest of the world has, has advanced. And just like their technology advanced, the Yetzirah advanced. They're not allowed. Safari, Eskenazi, whatever you are, not allowed. So, Rabbi Demi Kalmaya said, I could show you how you could actually marry two wives. This is 200 years ago. Everybody, how many people show up? A thousand people show up. A thousand, a thousand people show up. The wife, 500 men, 500 women. Why? The women are saying, well, how, how is he going to break the law? How is this rabbi going to go against my... So he gives them three hours of Musar, giving them it on their head. Reshaim, this is what you think to do. You go against Hashem. This is what happened. In the last five minutes. Oh, and by the way, you can marry two women. If you're one of those couple of law that still hasn't advanced in Yemen or in Morocco, and in the, yeah, you can. Over there, you can. If you live here, you can't. So you got a thousand people. That's what he did. He could have been. He was one of the Gdoleado. He could have actually been even bigger. Wrote books and things like that, but after he wrote a uh, thousand answers, there's Shelot Vichuvot. It's like um, anyone that writes a shelot with chuvot, uh, questions and answers type of book, shows that they're high-level Talmud Chacham. It's not like a regular person. So many people write books. But shelot with chuvot, as far as, you know, alacha, that's the highest level. Because to, to write an answer, it's not your opinion. It's to provide backing. Not just one rabbi. Pretty much every rabbi that wrote anything about this answer in the last thousand years. Serious. To write an answer could take one answer. could take you months, in some cases years. After he wrote 1,000 answers, 1,000 answers, he went to, wanted to publish it. Wanted to go publish it. The day he was ready, finished 1,000 answers. His house went on fire. The book burned. Same he said, person. same person. So what, what would you do? Me and you? Jump, giving up. I'm, I'm becoming Chiloni. Not only giving up the books, giving, you, you lose your mind. What did he do? He says, Baruch Hashem. Now I know for sure, Hashem, that my job in the world is not to write books. What is it? To get Amisad do tshuva. Get Amisad do tshuva. So yeah, he has a couple of uh, writings that we have, but in general, the amount of books that he could have written, he could have done, psh, extraordinary. Why? Because he knew this pasuk. This pasuk is relevant to anyone that goes and chases Amisad to go do tshuva. On a regular basis. The once in a while is good too. But on a regular basis you get something different. Where's the Pasuk? Hashem says to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 2. He says, When you pass through the water... I'm with you. Meaning, doesn't matter. It's just Yam Suf, I'm there. You pass through the rivers, they will not wash you. When you walk through fire, 
You will not be singed. It won't touch you. No flame will burn you. Meaning, when you become a soldier of Hashem Barach, Hashem says, you have a different deal. Yes, there's kaparat abonod, there's tes, Hashem needs to make you into a diamond. Making a diamond hurts sometimes. It's different tests, it's different emunah tests, parnasat tests, this test, that test, plenty of tests. But overall, you're untouchable. Why? The Avod de Rabbi Natan says, when you help another person do tshuva, Hashem says, you created him. You created him. You are like me, Hashem says. I brought him to the world, but he messed up. When he's a sinner, he's considered dead in my eyes. You now made him a Baal Tshuva. He brought him back to life. Same thing. Kipitiye. So this is a special deal you get, and that's why it's worth it to push yourself a little extra. Whether you have a voice, you don't have a voice, whether you have money, you don't have money, you have time, you don't have time, don't make a difference. Don't make a difference. Now, we mentioned something that happened, awful, awful thing, uh, that uh, happened, yeah. You said Kipitiye, what does that mean? Like if I say, Shem, could I make a million dollars this year? Will I make a million dollars? That's like Kipitiye means like whatever I say, Hashem will do, right? Yes. If I ask for like, let's say a million dollars or whatever, even an example, would I uh-huh. get it or someone to become healthy or sick? Will it like give a lot of results? The Sfarim HaKadoshim say, Hashem can make a gzera. Hashem mm-hmm. someone past Rosh Hashanah, says this person is a sinner, I'm going to take him from the world, the gzera and Rosh Hashanah, for me to kill this person. A Kiruv person, real Kiruv person, not the like half a Kiruv, real Kiruv person, prays for the person, says Hashem, I don't want him to die. Hashem says, I made a gzera, he changed it. That, to that extent. Like I said, there's Kiruv and there's Kiruv. If you're most... Kipitiye, there's a pasuk in Sefer Yeremiah, Jeremiah. He says, If you bring a precious person from someone that's a sinner, in essence, if you make somebody do tshuva, you will be like my mouth. Kipi means like my mouth. You will be. You will be like my mouth. As if everything that I say, Hashem says, everything that I say comes to existence. I said, let there be light. There was light. I said, let there be man. There was man. I said, whatever I said, whatever I say comes to existence. You'll be like that. But there's Kiruv and then there's Kiruv. If someone is a Moser Nefesh, does it 100%, Makes it his life. Makes it it's something that there's no price for it. There's no uh, exceptions. There's no oh, I'm too busy. There's no oh it's too expensive. Mamash makes it their life. They can get to that point. Mamash blessings higher than any tzaddik you can get. Because if you make one person religious, the reward for that is 310 worlds in Olam Abba. Three, I mean, no one can get those. Only someone did Kiev. Right. 
But to want to, to, to become kipiti, you have to do it on a regular basis, not just one time. The reason why is because someone could do kiruv one time, then become rasham Usha. Hashem is not going to give him the same, uh, same type of deal. You can't fool the system. Like everything else in life, exactly. Like everything else in life. Now, before I take your questions, and we go into this avot, um, there, um, there's a extraordinary story I've mentioned in the past, um, but it's worth mentioning again. As far as Kirub is concerned, because we mentioned the Holocaust, people get very, very emotional about the Holocaust. Be it the people that were in the Holocaust are less emotional about it. Not that they don't care, but when we tell them God made the Holocaust, they say, yes, you're right. You're right, God made the Holocaust. Uh, I heard a um, clip of a lecture of uh, Rav Avigdor Miller, Alava Shalom, he says, I was in the Holocaust. I was there. I was alive. I was alive during the Holocaust. I saw the Holocaust. I was there. Why did the Holocaust happen? Hashem did it. Why did he do it? He did Am Yisrael a favor. Why? They were killing themselves with assimilation, atheism, and going against Hashem. That's worse than bodily death. This is one of the Gdolei Ador, one of the biggest Darshani, one of the biggest rabbis, wrote many, many books. He only died. Only died uh, less than twenty years ago. Two thousand one. Oh, there you go. So, no, they didn't complain as much again. Of course, people. Some people complained, but the world wasn't as politically correct in his days as it is now. Today, you mention Holocaust already. You have a thousand people that hate you. Now, one of the famous stories that. Um, most people don't know, apparently, is there was a uh, Rav Chaim Dov Weizmendel. Most people know Rav Weizmendel, Alava Shalom, for Torah codes. Torah codes. All the Torah codes that we have today, he was able to do in his head. He's one of the originals that brought it to light. Brought the whole concept of Torah codes to light. He didn't become famous for that. It's later on they found out. But he was able to do Torah codes. He was that much of a genius. He was able to do Torah codes in his head. We need a computer and we still can't figure it out. He was able to do it in his head. Now, but he was also a real lover of Am Yisrael. And after the, during the, the whole Holocaust, towards the ending stages, the Reshaim Erushaim, the Nazis, Yimach Shema Bezichram, one of them, one of the leaders was Eichmann. And Eichmann was trying to make an extra few dollars at the end, plus save, uh, save his own butt. So he said, Jews for sale. He, made, he tried to make a deal to sell, some people say, as many as a million Jews. As many as a million Jews. And he got in contact with Rob Weismandel. And they made a deal. He says, yeah, give us some trucks, give us some money, give us some this, give us some that. I'll give you a million Jews. So now the world, at this point, already started sympathizing with the Zionists. They started sympathizing with the Zionists. A lot of people donated a lot of money to the Zionists. You're going to have a country one day, you're going to have this, you're going to have this. Everybody sympathizes. There's many 
Zionistic organizations today. They all honor Herzl and uh, all the other all the other monsters in the Zionist movement. Why monsters? Because why Mandel went to them? He says, "Listen, we could save a million Jews. Some say it's hundreds of thousands. Either way, is a lot. Save a lot of them. Just need some money. You have the money. It's not your money. People donated the money. Why do they donate the money for you to to go buy planes? Donate it for people, for lives." No, no. It's not for us. Why not for us? They gave a few reasons. One, we don't know how many Sephardics are going to be there. We don't want Sephardics. We want an Ashkenazi uh, country. We want a European country. That was already a problem. The Sephardics. We don't want Sephardics. They look like Sephardics like the Americans used to look at black people. Same thing. See, not Chinam for no reason. Then they said, oh yeah, you know what? Said, they already killed so many millions. If we save some, maybe we're not going to get as many as much tzedakah. We're not going to get as much tzedakah. We're not going to get as much charity. Meaning the whole thing is a business. The whole It's not love of Am Yisrael. Zionism is not loving Am Yisrael. That's what people fail. Especially religious people that are supposed to know better. There are movements, whether it's a modern Orthodox or dis-Orthodox. Or there's a lot of Orthodox today. Forget about all that stuff. There's religious Jew, not religious Jew. There's a guy that follows the law, and there's a guy that makes up a law. Reality is, you have to decide. You want to make up a rule, or you want to listen to God? Now, when you listen to God, you realize that Zionism is not loving Am Yisrael. It has nothing to do with it. Zionism is based on an anti-God mentality. It's an anti-God mentality. It's It's my power, my strength. It has nothing to do with loving Am Yisrael. And if you look at their own records, you see this. You look at their own letters, the letters from Herzl to the Pope. You look at all, all these different people, what they did. They went against their own nation. But this was not different than what the Torah wrote. The Torah wrote that at the end of times, Baham and Sechet Sotah, page 49, the leaders will go against their own people. The leaders will go against their own people. Now they did it in an obvious way, but somehow it's, somebody covered it up. Because there's statues all over Israel from all these Rishayim. All these Rishayim have statues, everybody honors them. Heretzel Day, this Sunday, this one, these people killed, you know how many people they killed? Their own people. So what's loving? What's loving Am Yisrael? How do we know we're lovers of Am Yisrael? This is where this Mishnah comes in. Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua Omer, Yichvot talmidecha, chaviv alecha kishelcha. Uchvot chaviraha, kemora rabach. Umora rabach, kemora shamayim. Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua says, Let the honor of your student be as dear to you as your own honor. The honor of your colleague should be like, you should, have, you should honor your colleague like you fear your teacher. You revere your teacher. And you should revere, fear your teacher, your rabbi, as much as you fear God. Here, Rabbi Azab ben Shamua 
is explaining to us what's mamash avat Yisrael. What's really avat Yisrael? Everybody says, no, avat chinam, you should love each other. You should love each other, you should love each other. Okay, are you loving each other and taking each other to the Holocaust? Or are you loving each other and saving each other from the Holocaust? What are you doing? What's mamash avat Yisrael? Everybody says, no, you should love your brother, accept him as he is. Accepting him as he is means, if you accept him as a sinner, means you hate him. You don't love him. Why? It's, you know the guy is going again. No, you don't say anything about it. Hey, buddy, you're going the wrong direction. Don't, don't, don't tell me nothing. But you, if you're going into the fire, just make a right. Make a right. You're not going to go into the fire. It's very easy. Just make a right. No, no, no. I don't want to bother him. So what's mamash? Avat Yisrael. So before I answer that, let's get some questions. Go. Who's reaching? Who's first? Sally, you had some questions. Yeah. Or you want me to continue? Yeah, Go. Right. How come people are doing this more today than the right thing, knowing that this is not allowed? Okay. People in position. Right. Say no. Okay. So why? Okay. So why are people so so have uh, do things based on self-interest? In so many words, what are you asking? Okay. It's kind of a self-explanatory question, but there's more details to it that have to do with this Mishnah. Next, Amos, you have something. Go. Anything, anything, go, go, go. Doesn't have to be relevant. No, you know, as you know already, nothing's relevant. It's all relevant, so nothing's relevant. Um, so let's say someone's a brand new Balkiva. Okay. And Mashiach comes. Next question. Got it. Where do they stand? I got it. Um, let's say someone. Same kind of person. Baal Mashiach shows up. Anything, well, not... Oh, it's not Baal Tshuva. Mashiach comes. No Baal Tshuva. No oh, he's just a Baal Tshuva. Okay. He's just a Baal Tshuva. Doesn't know anything about his Nusach or any other Nusach. Uh-huh. So, Nubal Tshuva shows up, is just starting to do Tshuva, Mashiach shows up. What happens? And then the second question is, Baal Tshuva technically is Ashkenazi, but wants to be Sephardi, or technically Sephardi wants to be Ashkenazi. Can he change? What should he do? Okay, next. Health. It's so wide, it's not also wide. Body or soul? 
So religious family has to uh, says, okay, right now my kid's sick, and um, I need to worry about his health or her health, and not the soul. Is that allowed? Okay. Next. <clears throat> you said before, like, you live a life of miracles. Yeah. So, like, what does it exactly mean? Is it better to live, like, a life with miracles or live a good life without miracles? Miracles versus no miracles. I went to miracles. We have against the miracles. You're racist no, against I'm miracles? Like, uh, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> okay, Anybody else? Anything else? You live in miracles, everybody lives in miracles. Yeah. question is whether you see it or not. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah go. What does the Torah say about anger, being angry with God? Angry with God. Genius. Okay, next. Um, we got like 10 already. Two, two four, adoption. six. Adoption, okay. Religious family means adopting Korean <coughs> children. Adoption of non-Jews. Yeah. Okay. Are they allowed? Why can't they adopt Jewish kids? Wouldn't it be better to adopt Jewish kids? Sure. <laughs> You're obligated to adopt a Jewish kid if you can adopt not obligated, not obligated to adopt the non-Jew. You can if you want, but you're not obligated. If you have a choice, you have to save the Jew before you save the non-Jew. Why? Well, Goldberg said that was other will try to answer all the questions. You have more questions you could ask along the way, um, but other um, will try to answer all these questions. So, uh, to who? Got raped. Not raped, neutered, something like that. He can't have kids. So, uh, make sure his son was jealous. He didn't want to have kids. So he like, how do you say it like in a nice way? Like neutered him. Like he how do you say it? No, he did. Why? Sasto. He uh, he um, castrated him. Castrated him. No, it's not because of that. No, it's not necessarily just because of that. There's a lot more to it, but. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot more to it than just that. Said that was up to Shem. Why is that too? Rabbi Elazar ben Hashemoah, Omer, Yichvot Amidecha, Chaviv Alecha, Keshelach. Okay, first and foremost, as Rabbeinu, Rabbeinu say, we have to know who we're talking about before we decide whether we want to listen to them or not. Who is Rabbi Elazar ben Hashemoah? Rabbi Elazar ben Hashemoah, if you remember, is a very famous story that most Jews know about, which is that Rabbi Akiva had gone from being a Amaretz, ignorant, to being a Baal Tshuva at the age of 40 when he was divorced with a kid and illiterate. Became Baal Tshuva at the age of 40. Over the next 24 years became the number one rabbi in the world, in history, and had 24,000, please, please, if you don't mind, had 24,000 students. Each one of his students was a Tana. Tana means be able to say one word, Kepitiye, meaning 
make a person go from dead to alive, but in real life, real time. Each one of his students was able to revive the dead. Each one. Why? The named by name in the Torah. The name by name in the Mishnah. The name by name in the Gemara. If the name by name in the Gemara in the Mishnah, that means they were at the level of holiness that were able to revive the dead. If they were not able to revive the dead, they're not named by name. So 24,000 students. Unfortunately, the Kavod between them wasn't up to par for their level. Wasn't up to par at their level and Hashem punished them with a plague where over a short period of time all of them died. This is when we do the Omer, this is when we grow beards, every Jew looks like he's a Hasid all of a sudden after a month. He goes from looking like a Goy to looking like a Rabbi Akiva. What happened? Somebody died? No, no, it's the Omer, it's the Omer. But you don't even keep Shabbat. Why are you keeping a beard? Oh, it's the Omer. Everybody likes to grow a beard. It's free. Everybody, everybody keeps, everybody grows a beard because it's free. Sadam. Do you know why we do it? Oh, no, somebody died. What somebody died? Sadam. All right, so now you have a rabbi. You have 24,000 students. The best and the worst of them are able to revive the dead. They all die. Every day, 700 approximately die. Every day, seven, imagine... 700 Rehovadyas. Rehovadya had 1 million people show up to his Alvaya. 1 million people. It was the biggest, they say it was the biggest funeral since Moshe Rabbeinu. Yeah. Biggest, biggest funeral since Moshe Rabbeinu. A million people showed up to his Alvaya. Rehovadya. Imagine 700 Rehovadyas every day. By the time you finished wanting to pretty much, you know, go with them, go in the, you know, some people dug themselves a grave and jumped into the grave next to Rehovadya. They didn't want to say, I'm not leaving, we're not leaving. He died, we're dying with him. They didn't want to leave. People that were close to Ravavadya, they knew, people that understood what Ravavadya was, they wanted to die. They dug themselves graves, they started jumping in the graves. They're like, oh, we're dying also. We have no Rav, we have nothing. Someone that understands what a Rav is, and if Ravavadya was your Rav, how could you go on? I remember seeing my Rav, Rav Ephraim. He lived, Mamash, a couple of buildings away from him. He says, if I wasn't obligated by the Torah to live and continue publicizing Torah, I would not want to live. Mamash, I saw he did a shiur about Rav after, Right after it, that is what was happening. Why? Obligation of Torah. So now, imagine 700 like this, every day. For over a month. Nightmare. Rabbi Akiva knows he's obligated by the Torah to publicize Torah. It doesn't matter 24,000 live, 24,000 dead. You're still obligated to do what you're doing. Like we always say, Judaism is not based on the Jews. Judaism is based on the Torah. Whether the Jews follow the Torah or not is irrelevant to you. You still have to do it. If everybody becomes Hasideh Satmir, you still have to be a religious Jew. If everybody becomes Chilonim, you still have to be a Jew, follow the entire Torah. It doesn't matter what they do. You still have to follow everything. Why? Because your own deal with Hashem as a Jew is independent of the world. Is independent of Am Yisrael. Even though technically call Israel Aravim Zelazeh, you yourself have an individual deal with Hashem. You have to keep whether you like it or not. 
whether all the guys with the hats and the beards are tzaddikim or not, it's irrelevant. You still have to follow everything. The entire Shukhanaruch. Not some of it that you like. That's fun. Porn parties. Everything. So now, Rabbi Akiva knows this. He says, okay, they all died. I still have to start. I still have to restart the whole thing. He goes, five students. Five students. Very famous students, you know. Uh, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi uh, Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua. Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua, the entire oral Torah we have today depends on Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua. And the other five. That's all of our Torah comes from them. We don't have the Torah of the 24,000. We have some parts of it. But everything we have depended on those five. And Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Azar ben Shamua is a big deal. Who is his student? Who is one of his top students that all of us know? And we talk about him all the time. Who is it? Rabbi. 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 Yudanasi. What did Rabbi Yudanasi do? Rabbi Akadosh wrote the Mishnah. Wrote Pirkei Avot. Wrote the entire Mishnah. Everything we're doing is Rabbi. Who is that? That's his student. That's his student. So Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua was alive and well to see what happened with 24,000 students. He's not telling you, hey, I heard a nice thing. I heard a story from some rabbi. He says, no, no, no. He says, you know why 24,000 tzaddikim, 24,000 angels, mamash angels, mamash, the angels works for them. The angels were lower than them. 24,000 Hashem punished them. Why? Right here. All about kavod. All about honoring your friend. Giving respect for your friend. They didn't give respect to their friend. Well, they cut each other off on the highway. They cut each other off on the highway. So there's several pirushim. There's several pirushim. Several uh, understandings, commentaries about the topic. Connects to Parashat Noach. Parashat Noach, Gemara says, Shem said to Noach, I'm going to destroy the world, go build an ark. Ark is the size of a football field and a half. Noach, Ish Tzadik Tamim, says, Hashem says, build, I go build. Then Hashem says, okay, Noach, go in the ark. Go in the ark, it's time. Why is he go in the ark? What? Noach doesn't know, it starts raining, don't go in. Starts raining, he's going to stay outside. He knows, a hundred years is waiting for it to rain. A hundred years is waiting for it to rain. Finally it rains. Why does Hashem say go in the, go in the ark? Why? Because Noah still didn't have a deal that he's going in the ark yet. It was East Sadiq Tamim. Hashem said build. He didn't say built for me. He didn't say built for Noah. He said build. I built. He didn't say go to Minyan, Nets, read Torah, do this, do this, do this, do this, and I'll give you a million dollars a year. He didn't say that. He said go to Minyan, read Torah, do all the mitzvot, that's it. He didn't say you're going to get a million dollars. You have to do it. Why? I said so, I'm God. Ani Hashem. What, are you going to go against me? You crazy? You know what I'm going to do to the rest of the people here? 
Go build an ark. Noach is Sadiq Tamim. He went to build an ark. He says, okay, Noach, you listen so far, I like you. Go in the ark with your family, with your wife, your kids, their wives, go. Go inside. So Noah goes in the ark, it's kapat avonot, a year kapat avonot, miskin, he's feeding these animals. One day he's late on feeding the lion. Lion gives him a trach. On the side he's suffering the whole time. He's suffering the whole year, he's suffering from pain from what the lion did to him. Lion got upset, he was late with the serving. He's not like the uh, tzaddikim that run this house that give tea to uh, darshan, try to give lost his voice. No, lion is no cheshbon. Doesn't do anything. Doesn't care about it. He laid my foot. Ah, the lion. No, he gave me gave him a nice chapcha to the side. Go miss all the lights. See what he does. Even if he looks, you start getting scared. I think it's pain for a week just from him roaring at you. So anyway, after. A year of kaparat avonot, he leaves the ark, goes outside, he sees Choban, everything is destroyed. He starts crying to Hashem. He starts crying to Hashem, Hashem, why did you destroy the world? Look what happened, it was so beautiful, we used to have one continent, one land for the whole, now we have seven broken up. Scientists actually confirmed this in the last hundred years that it all fits. It used to be one. It used to have nice trees. Everything looked like Ganede and everything was pretty. Everything Okay, there was some sinners. Why, Hashem, you ruined everything. Why? He starts crying, hysterical crying. Kamala says, Hashem says to Noach, Raya Shatya, you are like a drunk shepherd. Like a drunk shepherd. You don't know what you're doing. If you would have cried, what are you crying now? If you would have cried before I destroyed the world, I wouldn't have destroyed the world. If you would have told Am Yisrael to do tshuva, I wouldn't have punished them. If you would have told the Dora Mabul, the people, the sinners, go do tshuva, go do tshuva, and then do tshuva, you say, cry to Hashem. Hashem says, okay, give me more time. You got a hundred years, give me another hundred years. Why? Because there's somebody that's crying for them. There's somebody rebuking them. There's somebody doing something. You didn't say nothing. You didn't say nothing. That's why the flood is called after his name. Nothing. They, they came to him. They, they, they came to him. He was building. He thought he was doing enough. He told, listen, anyone comes to the store, ask for a CD, I give him a CD. But he didn't go and chase. If you came to the store, CD. You have money to pay? No, I don't have any money. Okay, take it for free. No mesirut nefesh. He built. He thought. He thought he was enough. He was doing enough mesirut nefesh building an ark. You go try to build an ark, 150 uh, amot. Maybe there's no space for all the people. When I get to his level, I'll tell you. When I get to his level, I get to the level of the dust that he stepped on maybe once in his life, I'll tell you. The reality is judging Noah unfavorably is a foolish thing to do. Because the reality of it is that Hashem would not save the world for any one of us. Any one of us. Why? We're not each tzaddik tamim. We're not tzaddik, we're not tamim. Why? We ask questions. We have a flat tie. Why, God? We don't get panasah on time to check it in clear. Why, God? 
One of the kids has a cold. Why God? Everything why? We has God. Did you see Noah say why God one time? Only after the Mabul. After the Mabul, he says why God? Why did you destroy it? Not why God, uh, like he did something wrong. So Hashem says, why don't you say why God? Why don't you cry to me before the Mabul? Pray for them before the Mabul. Why? Give them CDs. They gave them CDs. Yeah, but only when they came to you. Only when they filled up the hall with 500 people and they told you, listen, we're going to bring 500 people, but don't tell them Echalel Shabbat Mot Yumat. Just tell them nice things about Shlom Bayit. Tell them nice things about Shlom Bayit. Tell them nice things about how to raise kids. Don't tell them Echalel Shabbat is considered a goy. No. Don't tell them about uh, somebody that eats taref is, a, uh, is, is, is making his neshama metumtemet. Makes his neshama not accept Torah. Don't tell him that a chazan, that's not a kosher chazan that shaves with a razor or that's married to a goya or is violating divrei chazan on a regular basis is not only not praying for the kila, he's cursing the kila with every milah of Torah that he says. Don't tell him those things. Tell him nice things. Show him a movie about how you save women from, you know, bad relationships. How you help this woman by buying her a, uh, a cart or what are those uh, uh, those carriages for the kids? You spent strollers, strollers. Stroll. You bought a stroller. You got a million dollars in donations. You bought a stroller for five hundred bucks. Show them how you bought a stroller for a nice family, and you got them some cornflakes. So you show pictures of the cornflakes. Show them. Go ahead. Show them. They show you these movies. Look, look. It's cornflakes. And it's tuna they got. Yeah, it's good for two days. You get a million dollars in donations. Everybody makes a big deal. Oh, look, wow, so nice. They're having Hanukkah parties. They're having Purim parties. They're having Irma parties. They're having food. Okay, so what? Anybody becomes a tzaddik because he ate? Usually people become tzaddikim when they don't eat. Start fasting. So all the, all the irgunim that uh, feed people all the time, great, you should feed them Torah. You should use the money for that, not for feeding people food. But whatever, if you use it for both, good. But if it's just for feeding people, just feeding the body, you're not making them tzaddikim. So Hashem Ibarach says to Noah, you didn't do enough. You didn't do enough. You should have cried before the mabul. should have cried before the mabul. What is it like? Habib Azab ben Shamoah says... If Rabotenu, the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva, would have honored each other the way they were supposed to, they wouldn't have died. Not that less would have died. They wouldn't have died at all. Why? Because each one of them were high level, meaning, just like you were saying, they were expected to do more. So it's not that they cut off each other in the highways, Chashva Shalom, or cursed each other out. No. Are you guys crazy? What happened? They were on such high level, they said, you know what? They were competitive with each other's Torah. So when one of them made a mistake, he got to the wrong conclusion. Not that he started becoming Chalel Shabbat, Chas Shalom. Not that he started eating Tarif. No. Whatever, he started, he had a sugya. He had one of these difficulties in the, in the, uh, in the Mishnah, and all the laws of the Alakha. And he was going in the wrong direction with it. He was incorrect in his conclusion. The other guy was so competitive, he didn't correct him. 
He corrects you. He says, nah, I want to win. I want, I want to be better. You didn't care enough about him. You didn't respect him enough to fix him. Because you know it's not going to affect anyone. What he's doing right now, it's like a ping pool. It's not something that's for reality. It's something that's like a mental stimulant. It's really for the study, for the sake of studying Torah. It's not something that you implement on a day-to-day basis. So him having it wrong or not 100% right or not the complete tshuva that you already have, you're not sharing it with him. It's not really such a big deal. Hashem says it's a big deal. Why? Because now you've turned my Torah into something that you think is yours. It's not yours. It's not your Torah. Which, by the way, so you know, based on Allah, based on Allah, not the law of the land, based on Allah, there's no such thing as your Torah. Meaning, if you write an Allah book, you write an Allah book, whatever you have shalot of chuvot of your own, technically, anyone else can take the book, copy it, and sell it. The law of the land is there's copyright. They, someone can sue you. But based on halacha, there's no such thing as your Torah. You, once there's Torah, even if it's your chidush, you had a huge chidush, you worked on this chidush 50 years, you published this chidush, that chidush officially becomes property of Am Yisrael. You can sell the book for $29.99, but if somebody else says, I want to copy the book, they copy the book. It's not yours, it's not your Torah. There's no such thing as your Torah. So once you saw... Another Tana, go in a different. You had the answer. You didn't share it. Loba Shamaimi. Your Torah is not from Shamaim. No good. So Rabbi Razal ben Shamoy says, where does it all start? It starts in a simple way. It starts for kindergarten. It starts first of all with the relationship with the rabbi and student. Rabbi needs to understand that a student, in order for him to become a rabbi, in order for him to become a kosher Jew, in order for him to become a kosher person in general, regardless of what generation he lives, has to have some confidence. Now, there are unfortunately many, many people in the world today that are confidence killers. Their confidence, instead of building people's confidence, they kill their confidence. Why? How? They tell people, every single mistake they make, they point it out. The guy slipped on a banana, oh, see, Hashem hates you. The guy said one word, you, you, you got upset, he said a curse word, ah, you're a chasham elusha. The guy, you no, know, came to tefillah five minutes later, ah, that's what you do. Every five seconds, they're on top of his head. Now, I'm not saying you're not supposed to say anything, but the same token, every single thing, you're choking the guy. You have to know how to be a leader. You have to know how, when, and why. You can't strangle the guy. Oh, you went from Gainom. Now you want to be Moshe Rabbeinu overnight. The guy just came out of the casino. You want him to be Moshe Rabbeinu? Relax. Little by little. You have to know when and what. So sometimes those people that are confidence killers are parents. I told you guys a story. There's one guy that his son... God bless him, tzaddik. He's got two tzaddik sons. Son, mamash, the kid is a tzaddik, chacham. I really like the kid. Mama, he asks good questions, but he's mamash, like every respect, he gave me a couple of chidushim, and uh, they're really valid chidushim. And uh, 
tries. He tries hard. So anyway, he some rabbi allowed him to slaughter a uh, chicken for the sake of kapaot. Uh, for the kapaot, we Yom Kippur. But he's not a shochet, the kid. He's not a shochet. He doesn't know all the laws of shochet. But the other rabbi, yes, the rabbi, can I do it? The rabbi says, okay, go ahead and do it. Soon as he got home, he told he told his father, I did this. His father's like, oh, you're not allowed to do that. You're not a certified shochet. Your rabbi made a mistake. Ta, ta, gives it to him on his head. Like he just uh, married three goyot, not one, three goyot. Mama, it's like killed. So he, he asks me, both of them ask me, the father and the son both ask me, is he allowed, is he allowed, is he allowed? He's a kosher, is a kosher. Long story short, I say he's allowed to do it. Based on Allah, he's allowed to do it. And actually, if the other guy, if the real shochet, is a certified shochet himself, that means he's certified to teach. Which this was a, you, you have to allow people to do it, that's how you teach. Which means that if he followed all the laws, that chicken is not only you're allowed to do it, but it's actually a kosher chicken. You can eat it if you want. You shouldn't go sell it because you're not really supposed to sell the uh, the trials. But technically, based on Allah, after the fact, it's kosher. But oh, I show the rabbi agreed with me. The, rabbi, the guy is continuing to fight this whole thing. So I tell him, listen, God bless you. I know you're trying to uh, uh, be Ishemet and everything, but you're really suffocating the kid. Instead of being interested in, uh, in, 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 in baseball games and football games and all the garbage of this world, he's interested in becoming a shochet, he's interested in mitzvot, and you're giving them on a the head for it? The fact that you're wrong is a different story, it's a sidestep. Something on a, even if you're right, even if, even if you're right, even if he wasn't allowed to slaughter the chicken, even if the rabbi didn't give whatever, even if you're right 100%, he's wrong, but even if you're right, you're killing the kid. You're killing his confidence. Leave him alone. He's like, well, you want him to go play baseball? You want to go play video games? He's interested in mitzvot. I told him, you're killing the kid's confidence. If I was your kid, I wouldn't want to be religious at all. Forget about it. I wouldn't want to do this mitzvah. I wouldn't want to do anything. I want to leave everything. I want to become a goy. He took it personally. All of a sudden, I became his biggest enemy. He didn't like it. Two years he calls me rabbi, 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 rabbi. All of a sudden I told him the truth. You're my number one enemy. Mamash, I'm the number one enemy now. I'm the number one enemy. It doesn't make a difference if you keep the class when you come to class. I'm number one enemy. So, chaval, chaval. Why people don't like to hear the truth? Why? Because like we said, Masechet Shabbat, no one wants to see anything wrong with themselves. They want to look at the mirror and they want to see Moshe Rabbeinu. They don't want to see Korach. Sometimes it's the parents that are killing the kids. Kids trying, trying. At the same token, if the kids are Mechalel Shabbat, you can't say, oh no, he's going to do tshuva eventually. That's not being a parent. That's being a rasha with him. You have to do something. There's certain things you have to say. Certain things you've got to slow down on. Depends. Again, you have to use your wisdom. Common sense, they don't sell it at stores. But you still have it. Use it. I know it has some cobwebs on it, and you haven't used it in a while in this generation. But you have to use it. Take it out of the, you know, out of the shelves. Use it. It's common sense. The kid just started keeping Shabbat. Okay, if you caught him eating on kosher, you don't have to kill the kid. He started keeping Shabbat. Get him to keep a couple of Shabbatot. Get him away from the non-kosher place. Eventually, he's not going to want to eat non-kosher. He started keeping kosher. 
Okay, so he played video games one Shabbat. It's not allowed. Of course not allowed. But don't tell the kid, listen, everything you're doing is uh, worthless. Ah, you're Rasha, you're going to go to... Oh, really? okay, he's starting. Use your common sense. I know I say tough things in the lectures, but it's not meant that you're going to give it to one guy that just came out of Gainom, came out of Las Vegas, you give it to them all on his head on the first day. If he doesn't do it, he's Kolach. Use common sense. When, how, who, what. If you don't know how to do it, give it to me. So sometimes you have parents that are almost killing their own kids. Either by saying too much or by not saying enough. You have sometimes you have parents, no, 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 he's going to do, he's, he's spiritual. What do you mean spiritual? He's Mechalel Shabbat, 25 years of his life already. What's spiritual? You got to tell him to keep Shabbat. You got to tell him to leave the Goya. You got to tell her to leave the, uh, leave the Amalek she's dating. What do you mean spiritual? No, no, maybe he's going to convert. What convert? Even if he converts, not allowed to be with him. Now you're not allowed to be with him. After he converts, a different person. No, no, maybe he's going to convert. He's a really nice guy. Good, he's a nice guy for a different nation. So, saying too much, saying too little, you have to know when and how. You don't know how to do it, you have to bring a Rav that knows how to do it, not just anyone that has a beard. Someone knows how to deal with people. What's a Rav? What's a Rav? The Vilna Gaon describes as someone that has to know laws, has to know Allah, has to be well-rounded. People think in this generation, all you need to know is no laws. Wrong. Vilna Gaon says he has to know laws. Step number two, has to have Yirat Shamaim. No Yirat Shamaim, all the laws you know, throw them in the garbage, they're the same thing as cornflakes. They're worth nothing. No Yirat Shamaim is worthless. Vilna Gaon, second thing he has to have, Yirat Shamaim. Not enough. Yirat Shamaim and laws, a few people know how Yirat Shamaim, a few people know laws. They're not rabbis. He says, don't make them your rabbi. Why? He has to have common sense. Meaning, you can't fool him. He can't be a sucker. Well, you can fool him and say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I went to Minyan. What do you mean you went to Minyan? I was there, you weren't there. No, no, I was in the back. I was in the back. Like one of those guys, if he said, oh, you were in the back, oh, okay, okay, and he believes you, don't make him your rabbi. He's a fool. And eventually you're going to fool him with bigger things, you're going you're gonna to become koach and he's not going to know it. No, no, rabbi, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not lending him the money, I'm just giving him the money and he's just giving me a little bit more. Yeah, you're charging him interest. No, no, it's not interest, Rabbi. It's just that he's just giving me 20% more on my money because he's a really nice guy. Yeah, that's interest. If he believes it, he's a sucker. He's not a Rabbi. Vilna Gaon says he has not just no halacha. I'm in. Not just no halacha. Not just have yirat shamayim. But he has to be, have common sense. He has to be a wise person. Street smart, you call it in today's age. He has to be street smart. Can't be a fool. That's a rav. So sometimes you have ravs that don't have anything. They know maybe a few halachot, that's how they got their certification. But, like the rabbi that kicked out my younger brother out of yeshiva, this, this, this so-called rabbi, kid was, I don't know, maybe 10, 11 years old, and he didn't like him. Why didn't he like him? He's Sephardi. He's Sephardi. He didn't like him, he's a Sephardi. He didn't like all the Sephardi kids. 
And if none of them all is a Sephardi, if you weren't if you weren't Ashkenazi and rich, you weren't Ashkenazi fan. You have to be Ashkenazi and rich. So what happened? He kicked out a bunch of people. I have at least a couple of people that I know personally. He kicked them out. Most of them off the derech went from Gan Eden to Genom. This is this is the guy. He ran the school for almost thirty years. Machshimo. So here's the problem. You have a guy that kills people's confidence, kills people's lives. He kicks them out of school. So he doesn't accept a guy because he's Ashkenazi. He doesn't accept a guy because he's Sephardi. He doesn't accept a guy because he's a convert. He doesn't accept a guy because he's black, white, green, yellow, whatever he is. That's racism. That's sinat chinam. That's what we don't have, the Bet Mikdash, like you're saying. That's sinat chinam. That's not rabbis. So Rabbi Elazar ben Shamor is telling you, Hey, it's not a story. I was there. I saw it. I saw the Sinat Chinam. I saw it. It starts from the bottom. It starts with the basic relationship between a rabbi and a student. The rabbi needs to honor his student. Honor his student just like he would want honor for himself. Why? If the student feels like he has kavod, he's going to have confidence. Meaning, when he gives you a chidush... Even if he's wrong, even if he's wrong, redirect him in a certain way to make him right. Don't tell him, hey, you're wrong, all your work is nonsense, you're just atzlan, batlan, rasha. No, redirect him. Oh yeah, what you really mean to say, not Avram Avinu, Noach, Noach. That's what you meant, right? The kid's so shy, like, yeah, yeah, I meant Noach, I meant Noach. He didn't mean Noach. But tell him he meant Noach. What do you care? Was it cost you any money? Cost you any money to make the little kid happy? What do you care? You, when you're a teacher, when you're a teacher of people, you're a, you're you are responsible for their neshamot. You're responsible. You're dealing. You're not dealing with bodies. Your body. You're dealing with neshamot. You say the wrong thing. This neshama can be lost forever. I have a woman came to help my the rabbanit. God bless her. And, uh, you know, she's been helping us since we moved. My wow, precious lady. And she says she wants, uh, as Hashem would have it, what did he send me? Send me a person that she wants to convert to Judaism. <laughs> it's not, Hashem doesn't send us just anybody's. So she wants to convert to Judaism, Baruch Hashem. He says, you know, it's kind of strange because my friend always makes fun of me that I want to convert. And my wife... Tells me she asks her why? Why does your why does your friend make fun of you? you? Want to convert? She says not only you shouldn't convert, you shouldn't even work for Jewish people. Jewish people are evil people. She tells her. She goes, why do you say she's evil people? Why does she think uh, Jewish people are evil people? She goes, because she works for Jewish people that are very rich. These Jewish people they work for are very very rich, and they don't allow her to bring her food to their house. Now it's understandable because it's not kosher. But, what makes them evil? They don't allow her to eat their food either. They don't allow her to eat their food either, and they also don't allow her to take a break. So she has to sit there all day, not eating all day, working like a slave like she's in Egypt. And on top of it all, these people apparently have a lot of parties with a lot of food. They throw out all the food, and they tell you you're not allowed to eat it. You're not allowed to eat it. 
These are Rishayim Rishayim with a special villa in Gehenom. These are not Jews. These people cause anti-Semitism. They can have a kippah, they can have a beard, they can have whatever they have. They can also have a villa in Gehenom. This Chilul Hashem. This is a sin that Hashem Ibarach says. Chilul Hashem, you have to suffer for it. You have to suffer. And if you remember, if you remember, a month ago we did a Mishnah, Hashem Barach says, someone does Chilul Hashem beseter, behind, nobody sees. Nobody sees you doing Chilul Hashem. When he punishes you, he's going to punish you in public. Because to him, Chilul Hashem in private or public is the same thing. So this woman became anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitic because of these Reshaim. We need more anti-Semitism in the world. Exactly. So that's the thing. People are mamash, like people think, don't think with their head. They're just like, just evil. Sometimes they're just evil. So, but these tzaddikas, tzaddikas says, listen, I know not all Jewish people are like that, and I meet you guys, da, 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 it's so different. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. So you have to decide, you're going to be Kiddush Hashem or Chilul Hashem. Now, Hashem Barach gave us laws. Rabbi Elzab ben Shemua is telling us, listen, these laws, you're going to teach them to kids. When the kid gives a chidush, makes a mistake, guide him in the right way. He's like a rough diamond. Train him in the wrong way. But give him some confidence. Because if his success is your success. If you're a teacher and your student becomes a big Talmid Chacham, it's like you succeeded. So don't be jealous of your own Talmid. Sometimes you have these rabbis, they try, they see the Talmid advancing too far. Hey, hey, slow down, slow down. Why are you slowing him down? Why are you slowing him down? He's on fire. He's on fire. Don't stop the fire. You're on fire. He's helping people do tshuva. He has chidushim. He's, he's finishing masechtot. Don't slow him down. He's on fire. Let him go. People try to contain things. Why are you trying to contain? Because you can't do it. So, Rabbi Hazab and Shemua says, you want to re honor? Make sure you honor your students. Make sure you realize you're dealing with precious souls. Second, Honor your colleague the same way as you fear your teacher. Not as you honor your teacher, but as you fear your teacher. Meaning, the fear of your teacher is extremely important in order to understand what honoring your colleague means. So we, before we explain what it means to honor your colleague, we have to skip Go to what it means to fear your teacher. And the Mishnah says, yeah, and fear your teacher like you fear God. This is very, very hard for people to understand. Very hard for people to understand. What do you mean, fear your rabbi like you fear God? Most people don't even fear God. Now you want me to fear the rabbi like I fear God? So, the um, Rabbi Aaron Luria says, just as one fears his teacher, I'm sorry, um, the uh, Sefer Musar, Sefer Musar says, that the reason why you have to fear your rabbi just like you fear Hashem is because your rabbi is going to be the one that's going to get you into Olam Abba. 
Hashem is there. But the rabbi is going to be the one that opens the door or not. Depends if your father is Tamit Chacham or not. If your father is Tamit Chacham, then no, you have to save your father. If your father is Amalek, if your father is Avish Joe, then you have to save your rabbi. So where do we get this mitzvah? Where do we get this? this does this have a source? So in the book of uh, Sefer Dvarim, chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Et Hashem Elokecha Tira. Your God, Hashem, your God, you shall fear. That's the mitzvah. This is Deuteronomy 6.13. If you notice, 6.13, 613, 613 mitzvot. One of the that this tzaddik gave me, is, um, he says, look, says, the place it says the mitzvah of fearing Hashem is also chapter 6, verse 13. You fear Hashem, you're going to keep all the mitzvot. That was the chidush that he gave me. Now, an additional to add to his chidush is that Rabbi Akiva and Gemara Masechet Babakama, page 41b, says that every time the Torah mentions the word it, which really means and, but also could mean other things, it's in essence trying to increase the significance of what's being said. It's almost like an adjective without a meaning. Meaning that it's an adjective is supposed to describe something. So this is not really describing anything, but it's adding to the significance of what you're saying. So when it says, Kabed et avicha ve'etimecha, respect your mother and your father and your mother, technically it say, respect your parents. So why does it say respect your father and your mother? It could say, respect your mother and father. Or it could say, respect your parents. But in Torah it says this extra word is et. So Rabbi Akiva says, when it says et, it means you have to respect your older brother. The significant meaning here. So here in Gemara it says that when it says, you shall fear your God, the extra et means, in addition to fearing God, fear your rabbi. Why fear your rabbi? Because your rabbi is going to be the one that gets you to Gan Eden. Into Olam Abba. You have a bad rabbi, you're not going to Olam Abba. You have no rabbi, you have no chance. You have no chance. Why? Gemara says, someone, Gemara says, someone doesn't have a rabbi his whole life, and has no rabbi, Hashem hates him. Why does he have a rabbi? He doesn't have a rabbi because he thinks he's a rabbi. He thinks he's better than a rabbi, which means that he can learn his whole life, make a mistake, be on the wrong side his whole life, but he has too much gava to ask a rabbi if he's wrong or right. Because he thinks he knows more than everybody. So Hashem says, him, I hate him. Who else does Hashem say I hate? Esav. Esav Saneti. Several people that Hashem hates. Someone doesn't have a rabbi, intentionally doesn't have a rabbi. Not that he lives in a desert and there's no people. Not that he's Noach and there's no people. Someone uses Baruch Hashem, plenty of rabbis in the world. No, no, nobody's good enough for me. Nobody's Ishemet enough for me. Oh, you didn't find the whole world? There's nobody. Nobody. That's it, the whole world? You looked everywhere, you couldn't find. Oh. Shem says, it's excuses, nothing. Nonsense. So, before we go into more details about what it means to have um, fear of the rabbi, now we understand that here, Rabbi Azal ben Shamo is telling us that the kavod that you give chavecha 
should be in the level of the fear you have of your teacher. And the fear that you have of your teacher has to be fear of Hashem. Meaning that by honoring your friend, you're also symbolizing your Yirat Shemaim. So it's connecting not just your rabbi to Hashem, but also your colleague to Hashem. Your behavior with your colleagues, your behavior with the fellow rabbi that's with you, your chavuta, your neighbor, whatever, is going to be shown if you have fear of them, you get, it's also showing that you have fear of Hashem. You have no fear of them, you have no respect for them, you have no respect for anybody, you only have respect for yourself, that means you also don't respect Hashem. So, as a uh, famous story that uh, Rabbi Israel Belsky, the Talmud of Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, the uh, previous Allah Shalom, previous Gdolador in America, one of the main rabbis that built American Jewry. Uh, a few majors. Him and his Chavuta, Rabbi Aaron Kotler, were two of like the pillars. Also Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, Allah Shalom. So Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, his son, I spoke to him during that whole debacle, that whole debacle, debacle with the uh, Christian uh, uh, missionary. He was uh, Rav, uh, Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky, he was the first one that signed our letter to stop this event. He's the first one that didn't care about who signed, didn't sign. He said, this is wrong, put a signature on it. Baruch Hashem, over 90 years old, Ishemet. So his father... Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky is one of Mamash, the pillars of American Judaism. So one day, somebody nodded to him, right after tefillah, to Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, asking him a question. Sheila! And Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says to the guy that's asking him a question, go ask him. Who is him? His student, Rabbi Israel Belsky. And Rabbi Israel Belsky says... I didn't know that I was at the level to answer questions until he gave me the ability to answer questions. The confidence that he gave me by telling the guy to go ask me, that gave me the confidence to become a Masha Rabbi. A Masha Rabbi. So giving confidence to a student is a critical part of being a real, real good teacher. The problem is, is that sometimes you try to give a student some honor, some respect, and he takes it to his head. So I'll give you a couple of personal experiences. So you don't think it's some stories I'm making up because, uh, I don't know, I'm angry or something. You know, call anyone, any, any, anyone that's angry, it's Aved Avodah So, Baruch Hashem, I try not to have Avodah Zarah. Not in my life, not in, uh, not in my, uh, anywhere. But, you know, some people think, oh no, he's upset. He's no, not upset. It's just, you're on fire with Torah. So, one time I had a student. And uh, whatever, he came to me for, I don't know, a year and a half. Oh, Hashem went from Genom to Ganeden. Mamash, Katsele Katsele, wasn't doing nothing. One day he says he decided that he wants to leave work and go to Kolel. Now after a year and a half of helping somebody do tshuva, you get to know a little bit about them. You know where they're at. I told him you shouldn't go. I told him you could go part-time to Kolel. 
but you're married, you got a couple of kids, young, everything. It's too big of a test for you right now to just go 100% from working full-time, only being involved, chasing money your whole life, chasing the material world, to you just did tshuva over the last year and a half, to now go become a chassid, avrech, living on miracles overnight. It's too much. You can go part-time, go to a kolel. Go after work. Instead of going home at five, go to a kolel from five to whatever, a few hours. You don't have to go. To call right away. And uh, he didn't want to listen. He didn't want to listen. Thought I was trying to slow him down. Thought I was trying to slow him down. He went to Kolel. He had a bunch of very, very difficult tests. Some of these tests almost got him to a point where he left the religion altogether. Anyway, one day, I see him and I uh, compliment him. He's learning, he was learning one day, complimenting, oh, Shrecha, you're learning, you're withholding the test, even though he didn't listen to me, whatever, I don't keep grudges, what do I care? Shrecha, you're learning, your Torah is very holy, good job, keep going, go from strength to strength. All of a sudden, the next time I see him, like, I don't think you're doing right, I don't think you should do what you're doing, all of a sudden, the student wants to be a teacher. He starts giving me a rebuke. He wants to tell me what to do. No, no, I think it says something different. No, I th- I'm like, wait a minute, I'll show it to you. I show it. All of a sudden, I gave him a little compliment. It's Baba Sali. Baba Sali. This is Mamash. Just a little, a little while ago, you were getting out of your genome diapers. Now you're a little avrech for two months. Oh, you have to tell me what to do. Why? I told him, Chazaku Baruch. Initially, I told him, don't do it. He listened. He didn't listen. So he thought, look, he was wrong about that because I'm holding strong. And then he told me, Chazaku Baruch, so he's admitting that he's wrong. He's admitting that he's wrong. So now I'm going to tell him he's wrong. Or another time, another time. Whatever, it doesn't make a difference. This is good. Doesn't make a difference. Yeah, he's wrong. What the call is doing for him, I don't know. But I don't know. I don't know what the call is doing for him. But whatever. Listen, there was another guy. Another guy. I like I like people that learn Torah. I admire people that learn Torah. Somebody who learns Torah to me is like a diamond. But look, I'm not talking about a diamond, little diamond, little homeless diamond. I'm talking about a diamond, hundred million dollar diamond. Somebody learns Torah. It doesn't make a difference. Learn Chumash, learning Gemara. It doesn't make a difference to me. Somebody I see learning Torah to me, it's like, psh, you're actually the reason why Hashem keeps the world alive. So I see this young guy learning, goes to yeshiva, to the ta, used to come to a couple of shurim here and there. I tell him at the end of the shur, I give him chizuk, I'm like, listen, go keep going to yeshiva, ki, you're going to be a big talmit chacham, a shrecha. Hashem is revolving the world over because of you, your Torah is very precious, ta, ta, ta. compliments, like to give him some chizuk. It's tough to be a uh, tamid yeshiva these days. Everybody else is going out with girls. You have to go to, you know, tough. So I gave him hezuk. Not six months passed, the guy starts sending me rebukes. Listen, I don't think you should do this. I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should do this. By the way, you should know, I know this and I know... You're half my age. Half my age. Who are you? 
That's the problem. This happened many, many times. Not one time, not two times. I'm just giving you two small stories. Two small stories. It's happened. I tell people, listen, Shrecha, keep learning Torah. Hey, listen, you know what? The business world is not for me anymore. What? Guy just started learning Gemara last week. What do you mean the business world is not for you anymore? No, I think I'm going to leave my job. Why are you leaving your job? No, I think I'm going to work full time. I'm going to, you know, work for Hashem full time. I'm going to learn Torah all the time. I'm like, how are you going to eat? How are you going to survive? You know, Hashem's going to give it to me. I said, okay, if you really believe that, go. Three days pass, they go back to work. As soon as there's no check coming in, they go back to work. What are you doing? People jump ahead too fast. People jump ahead too fast. Listen. First and foremost, do basic level tshuva. Start keeping the basics. All the basics you know, that already takes a lot of time. Second of all, start learning Torah every single day. Now, if you think that... If you think that you can only learn Torah if you're learning full time, then I have news for you. If you don't go to work, not only will you not work, but you won't learn Torah either. You'll become a complete bum. And the reason why is because and until you were introduced to the Torah, your job or your school or whatever you were at your stage of life, that was your structure. That was your structure. That was the instructions that told you, wake up at a certain time in the morning, go to work, go to school, do whatever you need to do in that place to fulfill your obligation. After you finish, you go home, you eat, you are with the wife, you're with the kids, you it, whatever you're doing, you eat, you sleep, that's it. Now you have Torah. Now you have Torah in your life. It's not that the Torah replaces everything. Now what you have to do is have the Torah not only fit into this schedule, but actually becomes the priority within the schedule. Become the priority within the schedule. Meaning the same schedule, but now you've added the Torah, but you're doing now instead of doing everything that you were doing, let's say if you're working. You're working to make money. Now you're not working to make money. You're working... So you have the peace of mind to know that you have money to eat, so therefore you can study in peace. Many people think that I'm uh, against work, against business. I'm like, no, if you're a worker, work. No problem. But if you're only working to make money, and your Torah is like a little homeless Torah that you study maybe once a week, you come to a shiur, you're never going to survive. Your tshuva is not going to survive. But the same token, you can't go from katse to katse, from, from, from corner to corner, where you were in the business world your whole life, or school your whole life, and now you're going to go to be a, an avrech in Rabbi Akiva. Even if you want to become a full-time learner, it has to be in stages. First and foremost, you have to see how much you love the Torah. How do you find out how much you love the Torah? You find out how much you love the Torah if you see yourself using that existing schedule that you were working, keeping that schedule, and now all that extra time that you had that you were doing nothing with, you were playing video games, you were, I don't know, watching movies, you were hanging out with your friends, drinking beers, now all of that time, you've replaced with Torah study. If you've replaced all of that time, not some of that time, like an hour a day, if you've replaced all of that time, meaning every waking hour you have, with Torah, on a regular basis, for an extended period of time, and you still feel it's not enough, 
then maybe considering getting out of the work world, the business world is, is a possibility. But until you've filled up your schedule with mamash, 100% schedule, you have no time to breathe. You have no time for friends. You have, no, you have barely time to see your spouse. Honey, hi, how are you? I love you. Okay, I'll see you in three hours between, between sessions. Okay, all right. She gives you power. Go, go, go study. Go study the mouth of all of us. She's with you. Not she's against that. She's, if she, she, she doesn't want, she doesn't know, honey, I need you to sit with me. You sit with her for a little while. But the same token, again, you can't speak to her too much in nonsense all day. But the same token, you can't like go against everything. You can't like leave her like you haven't talked to her in three months. Common sense, again, common sense. So, you can't just go from katsay to katsay. You can't become an avrech overnight. A lot of people try to do that. No, no, I'm going to quit the business world. Okay, you can quit the business. How are you going to eat? Oh, Hashem's going to give it to me. No, why is Hashem going to give it to you? Are you that level? Are you that level? Are you that just, just, just really is that, is that? So, again, everybody has to understand that when you get, when someone, when your teacher is giving you Compliments, it's not because he's telling you you're really Moshe Rabbeinu. He's giving you confidence to keep going, keep going, keep going. Maybe you will be. If you are, you don't need compliments. If you are, you don't need compliments. So, that's one of the things that we learn here. Now, the uh, significance of students for teachers is highlighted in the Gemara in multiple places. In the Gemara Masechet Ta'anit, do you need Ta'anit? Yeah, Ta'anit over there. Gemara Masechet Ta'anit, page 7. It says a couple of really, really amazing things. So, Rav Nachman Yitzchak says, why are the words of Torah compared to a tree? Why there's a verse in the Torah, in the book of a uh, Proverbs, Chapter 3, verse 18. Shlomo Melech says, Why does it say that the, uh, the, the Torah, meaning the Etz Chaim, the tree of life, is for those who cling to it? What is the significance here? It's, it's referring, we all know that the Etz Chaim, the tree of life, is referring to the Torah. But why is the Torah used as a, as a, uh, something that's, uh, you know, symbolized by the Etzchei, by the tree of life. Why? So it says, it's to teach you that just as a small piece of wood ignites a small one, uh, a large one, you know, every time you want to build a big fire, you don't take uh, the uh, giant tree and light that on fire. You take a little tree, take a little peeper, take a match. So you say, just like a small piece of wood Ignites the large one. So do the small, the Torah scholars that are the younger ones end up sharpening the older ones. Meaning, someone wants to become a great rabbi, have many students. Why? Because all the little questions that these little students are going to ask you the 5-year-old, the 10-year-old, the 15-year-old, the 20-year-old, whatever they are. But all the people don't know nothing. Young. They're going to ask you questions. Each time they ask you questions that you don't think they're such really big, important questions, those are the questions that are going to make you a significant rabbi. 
Those are the questions that are going to make you Talmit Chacham, but that's very sharp, because you're going to be able to answer the stuff that people care about, the stuff that builds the foundation of Judaism, of Torah. So what's the proof? What's the, what's the uh, source here? Rabbi Hanina says, I've learned much from my teachers. But from my colleagues, my chavrutas, I learned more than I learned from my teachers. Why? Because my teacher gave me a lecture. I learned what I learned from him. But the guy who was learning chavruta with my colleague, who went back and forth, ta, 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 I learned even more from him. But who did I learn from the most? But for my students, I learn more than everybody. More than my teacher, more than my colleagues. Why? The students don't stop asking questions. Every day there's questions. A real student never has enough questions. But Rabbi Hanan says, that's what made me a rabbi. That's what made me Talmud Chacham. It's not my, my rabbi, Baruch Hashem gave me foundation. My Chavruta, Baruch Hashem, gave me the strength to keep going. But what made me Talmud Chacham is all the little questions from all the people that doesn't seem like they know anything. That's what made me rabbi. But why didn't he become a Talmud Chacham? Because he listened to this Mishnah. He says, when, I, uh, when they asked me the questions, I took them seriously. I took the questions seriously because I held my students dear to me just like I would want my teachers to hold me. Listen to this Mishnah. So regardless of what the question was, of whether Noach was Ish Tzaddik, or Tamim, or whether Avram was this, all these questions that seem like they're regular questions, go read it yourself, go to Rabbi Google. Those questions are what makes you a rabbi. And I can tell you from personal experience, a lot of people are very, very, um, uh, people that are in the Torah world their whole life, they always uh, are dumbfounded. Dumbfounded when uh, they find out that you know, we've been in at Baruch Hashem for a very, very, very short period of time. And uh, Baruch Hashem is a little bit of knowledge, but there's much, many, many shurims, hundreds and hundreds of hours of shurim. There's a few hundred lectures. Each lecture is a few hours. Baruch Hashem is an extraordinary amount of knowledge, and we try to make sure that every lecture is very different from another. And uh, they always ask me, what yeshiva did you go to? Was the rabbi, was this? And they, it's, it doesn't, like the answers don't match. What Tamid for 20 years, Tamid for this, you know, all types of stuff. So I can tell you, of course, obviously it's all Siyat Dishmai. It's all 100% Hashem has nothing to do with me. Hashem gives you, has your merits, He's counting all of your merits. He says, they need to hear this, you're willing to say it, go. That's, that's the way it works. They're willing to hear it, you're willing to say it, go. I'll give you the knowledge. That's really what it is. But one of the main things on a practical perspective, the way that Hashem makes it look realistic is that, Baruch Hashem, we have many, many questions. Every day, people email, text, call, this, that, nonstop. We an extraordinary amount of questions. This allowed, this not allowed. Should I do this? Should I not do this? A lot of questions. So, now, especially in the beginning, you don't know the answers. Not only you don't, you don't know all the answers, you don't know anything. In the beginning, you don't know anything. You know what you learn. But these questions people ask, this is this, this is that, you don't know anything. You're about to yourself in the beginning. You're learning yourself. I already started teaching while I was learning. So people ask me questions. So what happens when you love Torah and you love Hashem and you love His nation? What do you do? You go look for answers. So I go to my Rav and I, you know, I go to the books. I go to look for answers and Baruch Hashem. 
it's a, uh, you end up learning from all the students because they ask you questions, you don't know the answer. So you go find the answer. And when you do it once, twice, 10 times, 20 times, 30 times a day, 40 times a day, after a short period of time, you have thousands of answers, Baruch Hashem. It, seem, it, see, it, see, it seems like you're a Talmud Chacham, at least Hashem makes it seem like you are. So, why? Because it's respecting the students. Why respecting the students? You used to be one of them. Don't think you're such a big deal. You used to have a lot of questions also. Nine months worth of questions I had. Nine months worth of questions. Nine months worth of questions. I'm fine, I can write a book. I write my name is already okay. It's not the shame. So, now this actually reminds me, this reminds me, you know, a lot of people complain about their wives. So they say, always ask, always ask questions. What does Chazal think is the responsibility of a wife? Isn't that a good question? Isn't that a good question? To cook in the clean? You may stay single with that kind of attitude. You may stay single with that kind of attitude. What does Chazal say is the responsibility of a wife? You know what it says? It says, the fact that she raises our children and keeps the husband away from sin is already enough. Anything else is extra. This Chazal is Gemara. I don't say, oh, I'm not sure, I don't agree. It's Gemara. It's Gemara, it says it. It says the fact that she raises the kids and she keeps the husband away from sin. What sin? Wasting seed. Why wasting seed such a big deal? It says because wasting seed, according to Shulchan Aruch, is like you violated the entire Torah. The fact that she keeps you away from wasting seed and on top of it she raises your kids, she's already doing more than enough. She cooks for you. If it's good too, what? Oh, why? You may have Tzipora here. You have Sarai Menu. She cleans. Ooh, wow, 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 wow. You, you, Sachita, you What are you complaining about in life? You have Olam Abba already. People think that their wives are supposed to cook and clean and wash the ceilings and the chandeliers and help the homeless and help the shed and become like the Rabbanit of the community. What? Gemara, Gemara, Gemara. Chazal says the fact that she cooks and cleans. There's two different sages. Agree on the same thing. This is the, this is, this is the actual opinion. It says the fact that she raises the children and she keeps you away from sins, it's already enough. Now, of course, if she does more, it's even better. But the point here is that for all of those guys, all of those guys that like to complain about their wives, about all these different things that they think they're supposed to do according to the world today, they're wrong. What is the husband the husband is supposed to support the wife. Support the wife both emotionally and financially. That's the main thing. If she goes to the mall every week, it's his fault, not her fault. Why? Gemara Masechet Sota says, a person gets a wife just like him, based on his own deeds. So now, we understand that the in order to, uh, in order for someone to become a, a solid rabbi, he has to mamash honor his students, give them some koach. On the other hand, that the honor of your colleague should be like the honor you have of your teacher. What does it mean to have honor for your teacher? 
What does it mean, I know your teacher? Gemara Masichet Shabbat, page 30. Give me that. Give me some. Uh, the one, one. The first one. So Gemara in Shabbat, page 30b, it says something that I don't think any of you know. And I don't think any, I don't think many people in this generation know or hold by. But this is a reality. This is this is what it says. Yeah, please, please, it's a There's mercy on me. Like, like you guys do best. There's mercy on me. See, you have mercy on the people. See what see, see what see what the Gemara says about the rabbi. See, see, this is what the Gemara says. This is what you're supposed to do if you have a rabbi. I don't know, I'm not a rabbi. You guys, you guys pick a rabbi. Says what the rabbi. This is what the rabbi. This is what it says. Says. Says Rav Gidal says in the name of Rav. Any Torah scholar, kol talmid chacham sheyoshev lifnei rabo, ve'en siftotav notfot mal tichavena This is scarier than I thought. Any Torah scholar who sits before his teacher. And his lips do not drip of bitter dread. Is destined to be singed in the fires of Gehinnom. Meaning, when a person sits next to his Rav. Rav meaning you listen, he says you do. Not like uh, he says you do whatever you want anyway. He says you do. That's a Rav. When uh, people didn't listen to Rav Tzion Abba Shaul... He says, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, my students don't listen to me. That means I'm, not my, I'm not really their rabbi. He says, why do you say that, Kvod Arav? Why aren't you, aren't you upset? You looked, he asked you a question. You worked on the answer for three days to show them what the answer is. And they're still not going to listen to you. Why don't you, get, why don't you get upset? He goes, no, Baruch Hashem. He goes, why? Because that means they're not my students. He goes, why is that a good thing? Because if they're my students, I may have to go to Gehenom for them. If they continue being sinners, it's my fault. It's my fault. They're going to come to me in Shabbat and be like, why is this the Shabbat? Why don't you teach them about Shabbat? Why are they still going to Eshad Ish? Why don't you teach them about Eshad Ish? Going with a married woman. Why do they still eat Taref? Why don't you tell them about kosher laws? It's your fault. You're the rabbi. So if they don't listen to me, I'm not their rabbi. It's better for me. So he says, if I'm the rabbi, if you have Mamasha rabbi, in front of him you should be shaking. Shaking. Why? This is a guy it's going to get you either to Ganeden or Genom. If he's a good rabbi, he's good midot. Gemara Masechet Moed Katan, Moed Katan, I think it's page 17, says, if the midot of your rabbi like an angel, listen to his Torah. If not, don't listen to nothing, he says. He's not a rabbi. If his midot are like an angel, he's good midot, he's smart, he's funny, he's uh, generous, He's there. He's got good midot. It always has to be funny. It could be something else too. If he's got good midot, if, he's, if he has no jokes, what's your, if he has one joke every six months, three jokes a month. That's not good. He has more. But no, if he has good midot, then you listen to him. If he has bad midot, don't listen to nothing he says. You're not allowed to listen to him. There's one little jokester out there in the world, unfortunately, today, calling himself a rabbi. I talk to him about it a lot of times. I never mention his name, Baruch Hashem. I don't want anyone to chas v'shalom listen to him just because I mentioned his name. This guy's a jokester. No, no, it's mamash. It doesn't make a difference. He's mamash. This guy is mamash. His genom gets bigger every day. He calls himself a rabbi. So, recently, 
he says a lot of things that are against the Torah. He tells people, go. If your wife doesn't want to go to the mikveh, you're still allowed to be with her. If, uh, you know, if your wife wants to go drive on Shabbat, drive on Shabbat for Shalom Bayit, all types of laws that he creates in his head. So recently, he took it to a new level. Recently, he became a Navi Shekel. You know what a Navi Shekel is? A false prophet. He had a video made right after the holiday, five-minute video. And he says, I wanted to tell everybody that God spoke to me. When God speaks to you, that means you're a Navi, you're a prophet. God spoke to me and he told me, thank you. <laughs> this is Mamasa video. He made a video. He says, God spoke to me and he told me, thank you. This is Mamash, this is a, this, Baruch Hashem, this happened actually. Because, I mean, anyone with common sense will say, this guy's an idiot, this guy's crazy. You can't fix crazy. Crazy is a barbanel. You go to a mental institution in Yerushalayim. You can't fix crazy. There's no pill for crazy. Once you're crazy, you're crazy, it's period. It's fault for giving all these wrong alachot. He's crazy. He's shotei. He doesn't have to keep anything. He's patul. No, he's patul. He's shotei. The guy's navi shekel. The guy's, the guy's navi shekel. But this is what I told you when I first, if you guys remember, I told you in the beginning, 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 when I first mentioned this idiot, I told you that this guy is eventually going to make his own religion. This is exactly what's happening right now. This is Mamash Yeshu. God spoke to me and told me, thank you. Listen, the fact you have a miracle here and there, Baruch Hashem, the fact you have Parnassah, Baruch Hashem, the fact you have a wife, Baruch Hashem, you have good things happening in your life, Baruch Hashem, great. God spoke to me and he said, thank you. Come on, no. Like, you have to have mamash, you have to have mamash, like really, chutzpah, to say such a thing. The Torah says, the Torah, five books of Moses say, Navi Shekel, you're obligated to kill him. If we had Sanhedrin, they would kill him. Can't say God spoke to me. It's not, it's, not like, it's not like Joey spoke to me, and he said, we should come over more often. It's not that. Navi Shekel. So, people, people are much dangerous. So now, when someone is mamash, a real prophet, a real prophet, well, someone's a real rav, and someone has a rav, mamash, his, his students have to fear him. Why they fear him? Because this is going to be the one that gets you to Gan Eden or Gehenom. But how do you know if he's a rav? It's if he has good midot. If he's a navishek, you can't listen to him. If he's a metumta, if he's stupid, you can't listen to him. If he's a fool, you can't listen to him. If he's an angry person, you can't listen to him. If he has bad midot, you can't listen to him. If he's stingy, you can't listen to him. Not that if he's stingy, you can listen to him about all the other stuff. No, if he has bad midot, he's pasul. No, you don't rebuke him. You're pasul. Don't listen. Go find another rabbi. So it's meaning it's very hard to find a real rabbi. It's very hard to find a real rabbi. So now, in Teman, in Yemen, they had a rav called Mori. Mori. And Mori from Teman... People were scared of him, scared of him, not because he would go around and rebuking people because, hey, you got angry, your wife told me. No, Mori was such a ish kadosh, such a holy person, he mamash knew what people do in their house. He says, why don't you go to Beknesset today? No, no, I went, I went. No, you didn't go. I know you were sleeping until 10 o'clock today. Why'd you, uh, why'd you uh, yell at your wife today? 
Why'd you overcharge the customer? Why things mamas people? Why'd you waste seed today? How you know wasted seed? That's something you're doing in, in, in secret. You're ashamed of yourself after you waste seed. There's not a person in the world that's proud of wasting seed. Even even the, the goyim, it's a fear. It's a natural feeling to be like ashamed. It's a natural feeling. So tell me, why are you waste seed? You know what you're doing? You're wasting seed. You know what it says in the Gemara? We're wasting seed. I give you. It's actually in Gemara Shabbat. Gemara Shabbat, the second one. Gemara Shabbat, second one. Relevant to this parasha. Relevant to this parasha. It says, Gemara Shabbat. Gemara Shabbat. Gemara Shabbat. Says this. Rabbi Eliezer Omer. Whoever holds his male member while urinating is considered as if he's bringing on the mabul to the world. It says when you go and urinate, if you're holding your male member, for those who don't know, that means penis, uh, we have to be clear these days. What can we do? Excuse my language. It's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a normal term. It's not a it's not a foul or a derogatory term. But you have to be clear these days. When a man goes to the bathroom, Chazal says you're not allowed to touch it. That's why the Hasidim, by the way, the Hasidim, they have these special underwear. It's, it's like a boxer short, big boxer short. And they position their male member into the hole. They don't touch it all. That gets a little training to do. But point is, you could also sit down. There's logistical, uh, it's not that difficult, put it that way. It's not that difficult. But, Rabbi Eliezer Omer says, someone that actually holds their member when they're going to urinate. He's not even talking about wasting seed. So you should go and urinate, something you do three, four, five, seven, eight, nine times a day. Since you're holding your male member, you're bringing the mabul. Why are you bringing the mabul? Because what do you think made the guy think about going waste seed? What made you, what made the guy so comfortable with actually doing such a thing? Because to Avraham Avinu, to a ish kadosh, to a ish kadosh, his male member, and his finger, same thing. This is kadosh, that's kadosh. Just like I'm not going to violate my finger and put it into fire, I'm not going to violate my breed and put that into fire. I'm not going to waste seed, violate the Torah and the biggest sin in the world. Chas shalom. What gets a person to a level of, 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 of comfort where he feels okay to touch himself? Hazal says, well, he goes to urinate and he touches himself then. And he gets comfortable with it. This is a problem already. Why? Because as soon as he has Yetzirah go inside, he continues and it becomes much worse. He brings them a bull. Why brings them a bull? That's what the parasha says. Parasha says, Hashem was willing to accept all sins. They did this, they did this, they did this. They did all types of sins. They did all types of sins. When do they break the camel's back? 
broke the camel's back when they started wasting seed. The world became corrupt. The biggest sin was not just the stealing that people thought. People think the Pshat says they were stealing. The Pshat they were stealing. But it actually is stealing the Shamot, stealing the fortune of others. So where we know it, when Hashem Barach, Hashem Barach gave the seven laws of Noah to, to Noah, so one of the initial ones is to give him the uh, mitzvah of do not murder. But in the mitzvah of do not murder, we learn about wasting seed, how it's a big sin both for Jews and non-Jews. So in the Parashat Noah, chapter 9, verse 6, Hashem says to Noah, So this, I've gone over this verse in the, in the past, and I'll give you guys a chidush about it. So the verse 6, it says, Someone who spills the blood of a man within a man, his blood will be spilled. So the blood of a man, we know that's regular blood. But the blood of a man within a man, that's seed. That's seed. So we see it literally in Hebrew talking about seed. So someone that wastes seed, his blood will be spilled because in the image of God, Hashem created man. So now, why is this the stealing that Hashem Bach was referring to. Why is this the corruption that Hashem Bach was talking to? Because the very following verse, verse 7, after he says, don't spill seed, because that's considered murder, what's the purpose of you even having seed? What's the purpose of you even having a body, according to the Rambam? Pulbu. That's what the next mitzvah is. It says, Ve'atem, Pulbu, Shirtzu ba'aret It says, in you... Be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply on it. Right after he says, don't waste seed, he says, go and use that seed to bring children to the world. Meaning that the corruption, the stealing that he's talking about was not stealing $5 from Tzvika and Shmuli. You're stealing the fortune of the Neshamot that have been sitting in Shemaim and want to come to earth, you're stealing their fortune. Why are you wasting them? You're killing them. That's why you're supposed to not waste it and actually use it. So that's why those two are connected. That's the Kiddush. So now, when a person wants to run away from such a sin, wants to run away from such a horrible, horrible sin, it's very critical for them to do a couple of things. Number one, they have to continuously learn about the subject. You have to learn about the significance of the sin. Why it's so bad to waste seed. There's a three and a half hour show we did in New York that every person, every guy, whether they have this problem or not, should watch that show at least once a month. It's much an overview of everything. Then there's about at least a handful or half a dozen or so different short clips, just like we did now, about the subject. Watch those. Again, all of them at least once a month. That's one. Two, you have to train your eyes to stop looking where they don't belong. Because your eyes, it says in Mitzvah Tzitzit, don't follow 
the things of your heart and the things of your of your eyes. Why your eyes? Because what you see is what you can end up thinking about when you go to sleep. It's what you can end up thinking about when you pray. It's what you're going to think about when you're with your wife, if you're married. So don't look where you don't belong. You have to watch your eyes. That's number one. That's number two. Number, we already covered that. Number three, what's the chidush? Number three is we listen to this Gemara in Shabbat. We have to start training ourselves to not only not touch our body as often as we do, as comfortably as we do, but mamas get to a point where you don't even look there. Now I know this sounds, to most guys, this sounds like uh, I'm expecting you guys to be Rebbe, to be Rabbi Yudah Nasi. It's not that hard. Not that hard. You get used to it. It's hard in the beginning. But it's not as hard as your Yitzhak is telling you right now. Yitzhak right now is telling you, this is, uh, this guy is expecting us to be Kriyat Yamsuf, Moshe Rabbeinu, Yeshua Benun, Nachshon Ben Aminadav, Yaakov Avinu, all together. No, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. And the reason why I'm telling you is because the less comfortable you are with your own body, the more holy you're making it. The more holy you make it, less likely you are to violate it. So, one thing is, that's easy, easy, piece of cake. From now on, when you go to the bathroom, regardless of one or two, sit down. Regardless of whether it's one or two, sit down. That already eliminates the issue of holding the member or not member. And again, this is mechilaf mikvotchem, but this is a reality issue. This is an issue that needs to be talked about. So, sit down. Two, try to do whatever you can not to touch your member directly. Three, only look if it's necessary. It's really not that necessary to look. It really isn't. Only look if it's necessary. As, as far as you think this is from, this is from you, loba shamayimi. And I promise you that when eventually you're with your wife, eventually when you're using it for whatever pleasure you want to use it for with your wife, everything is even better than you thought. It's still there. It doesn't run away because you didn't look at it. It still works. Everything is there. Everything is wonderful. It's even better. It's even better. But that's the thing. This Gemara, this Parasha, this Mishnah, it all connects. How? It's Hashem Barach. Point being is that somebody needed to hear it, and that's why Hashem said, because this was definitely not part of the Shiur. Now, next. The, uh, the rabbi from Teman was telling, Mamash told people, I know you sinned. And people were much scared. So sometimes Hashem gives the Rav special koach, special strength to know things about his students that they didn't tell him. Sometimes they don't even know about themselves. So this specific mori, Mamash knew what people were doing in behind closed doors. Other rabbis, he gives them different strength. Like for example, the stapler, Stapler, Allah shalom. Anytime somebody that was a Mechalel Shabbat would come into his, his yeshiva, where he would learn, he'd immediately start screaming, Get out! Get out! Get out! Get him out! Get him out! Get him out! Enemy of Hashem! Get him out! He couldn't, he couldn't deal with it. He doesn't know the guy. He didn't see him. But as soon as he entered the building, he knew. That's it. That's, that's so different. Someone that has Mamash, Yilat Shemaim, you know, closest to Hashem, Hashem gives him powers that are beyond norm, beyond the norm. 
So that's the uh, having the fear of your student. And where we where do we get this uh, this? Um, no, so the more the story is, is that these people, the Chuvais, the Teiman in general, all of the people in Yemen, especially the ones that still live there, were extra, extra stringent when mitzvot. Why? They were scared of their rabbi. Why? Because their rabbi was really holy. Really holy, and he knew that they sinned. Somebody knows you just did what you did behind closed doors, calls you out on it, when you thought you got away with it, you feel bad, but not that bad. But as soon as it came to light, hey, Asha, why would I do? I saw you. You drove. You did something on Shabbat. How did you know it was dark? I know. Shem told me. Scary. Scary. You don't want to sin. You take it as a, as a hidden camera everywhere. Scary. Right. So. The Rambam in Ilchot uh, uh, Talmud Torah, chapter 5, Alachat 12, says, Just as the students must honor their teachers, so the teachers should honor their students and develop a close relationship with them. Why? One must take extreme care with his disciples and love them, for they are his children who give him pleasure in this world and the world to come. So somebody has, has Tamidim, has to make sure that he gets, you know, he's there for them. He's there for them. Where do we learn this from? We learn this from Moshe Rabbeinu and how he treated Yeshua ben Nun. In uh, Shefer Shmot, Exodus chapter 17, verse 9, when they were going to war with Amalek, Moshe Rabbeinu said to Yeshua ben Nun, choose men, uh, let's, uh, let us choose men. Let's choose men together. Who's going to fight the war? Technically, Moshe Rabbeinu was the leader. He says, let's go choose men for me. You go choose, go do it for me. You work for me. Go do it for me. Like, uh, go pick up my laundry. Go, uh, you know, take care of this car for me. Go do it for me. You work for me. It's not, it's, not, it's not disrespecting him, technically. He's not disrespecting him. It's his job. He said, no, let us choose men. Let us choose men. We're going to fight with Amalek. Where did Moshe Rabbeinu learn this? Where did Moshe Rabbeinu learn this? He learned this from Hashem. Where did Hashem see it? Hashem created man after he created angels. But before he created man, he says to the angels that were also his creation, he says, let us create man in our image. Let us create man in our image. Why did he say let us create man in our image? Why, he needs, he needs, their, he needs the help of the angels? They're also a creation. He says, listen, they're also my creation. Let me give them some honor. Why honor? Because if I don't give them any honor, they're going to think they're not important. They're going to feel bad about themselves. I love them. They're my creation also. They're not army but they're my creation also. You understand? I want, I want them to feel important. I want them to feel that they're significant. So that's why Moshe Rabbeinu followed suit. Moshe Rabbeinu followed suit. So sometimes you have a... Uh, teacher that is scared of his student. Scared of his student. He sees his student advancing really fast, and like he was saying before. Student answers him a question, and he gives him the wrong answer. He gives him the wrong answer. He doesn't help him. A student asks him, listen, I saw you gave a shiur. You were using this book. You were using certain sources. Can you give me? I want to give a shiur to a few friends. 
Can you, can you give me your sources? Can you give me the information you use for this shoe? And Rabbi's like, no, 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 it's my stuff. You know how long I worked on it? I worked for, I worked for all those sources. All that stuff, I worked on it for five years. Why should I give it to you for nothing? That's not a Rav. That's a Rasha. That's a Baal Gava. That's a person that's not, his Torah is not from Shemaim. His Torah is doing it for honor. You have to change rabbis. So if the rabbi is giving wrong answers to certain people, what is that a sign of? It's a sign that he has no Yirat Shemaim. And we learn from Gomorrah Masechet Moed Katan, if he has bad Midot, which obviously one of the, the worst thing you could possibly have is no Yirat Shemaim, you're not allowed to learn from him. He's not allowed to be your Rav. You making him your Rav, you're making a sin. He's making a sin, you're making a sin. That's if you know he has no Yirat Shemaim. That's if you know, if you know he has bad Midot. Now if, let's say for example, he's the rabbi of the Bet Knesset that you are attending, you don't have to make him your rabbi. You're just a rabbi of the Bet Knesset. Go pray there as long as there's 10 people that are kosher, that keep Shabbat, that keep basic mitzvot, count the minyan, you go, you pray, you go home. You don't have to have every local rabbi become your rabbi. You're just a rabbi of the Bet Knesset. You don't have to, you know, own every kosher restaurant in order to eat there. You're just going there to eat. Same thing with the Bet Knesset. You go in there to pray. Oh, he doesn't have to be a rabbi. Especially if he has bad midot. Not allowed to, not allowed to listen to him. So that's one. Second thing is, in regards to those same things, the same people, these balet tshuva. Balet tshuva having a lot of problems these days because the firm world doesn't know how to deal with them sometimes. So, balet tshuva, sometimes are very, very passionate. Much more passionate about Torah than from, 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 from birth people. And they're coming in with fire. They just started doing tshuva six months ago. They want everybody to ha- pray with kavanah. They want everybody to pray like the Mashiach is already here, watching them, you know. And everybody's been praying for 25, 30 years. Like, hey, relax, little guy. Go, let's see what you're doing in 20 years. So the Baal tshuva on one hand has to realize that not everybody is the same level of fire. The Frum on the other hand has to know and has to realize if he's on fire, help him. Get him even higher. You have to help each other. You have to honor your colleague. It's all for Shema. It's all for Shemaim. And the reason why is because that fire is what's going to save him when Mashiach arrives before he completed his tshuva. You see, when you do tshuva, people think you start keeping Shabbat, start keeping kosher, start, uh, you know, stop wasting seed, you did tshuva. Okay, you started your tshuva, Baruch Hashem. You didn't complete your tshuva. Why didn't you complete your tshuva? Because two things. Number one, you have to learn all the mitzvot in order to fulfill them. Until you learn them, you're probably violating them. It's a famous story in the Gemara. In the Gemara, Rabbi Akiva saw the dead person. Dead person, body, laying in the street. So he took him to the yeshiva. He said, where should we bury them? They just said, he's violated Torah. He's violated Torah. Why? If you find a dead body... Wherever you find them, you have to bury them right there. So every single step you took, thinking you're doing a mitzvah. So you're doing a mitzvah. You found a dead body, you brought him to yeshiva to ask us where to bury him. Every step you took was a sin from the Torah. Why? person that, so you find him as a dead body, you don't know who killed him, you don't know what, you don't know where, you don't know this. He bought the place, meaning he's buried right there. So you made a sin. So Rabbi Akiva, Chatanu Avinu Pashanu, even though he made a sin, he didn't get to it. He, so you had to make the mistake in order to get to it. The point being, the point being is that you're going to have situations where you're going to have to sin first in order to make tshuva, to learn the law. 
So it's going to take time. It's going to take time to learn all these laws. To complete it, you need to learn a lot. That's number one. Number two, you need to make up for a lot of the sins. You need to remember all those sins that you made. The Shem is not going to depress you overnight and make you remember all your sins instantly. Because if you really remember all your sins in one, set, one shot, you're going to get depression and leave everything and say, I'm definitely going to get home. So Shem gives you bits and pieces. In the beginning, he gets you to remember the big sins that you're making right now. Violating Shabbat, violating kosher, wasting seed, da, 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 whatever you're doing right now. Then all of a sudden you're doing tshuva for uh, two years, three years. All of a sudden he reminds you that uh, ten years ago you stole some money. You stole $500 from some guy. Or you borrowed money you never returned it. You forgot about the guy. You left five, ten years ago. But you went to Shior and, and uh, Rav says, Kamala says somebody that took money didn't return it. It's considered stealing. And anyone that has st- uh, stolen money, it's like having blood in their hands when they arrive at the Ganeidim. They show, hey, I want to get in. They're like, hey, you can't get in with blood on your hands. Go back. You have to come back in a Gilgul. So now you forgot about it. Hashem says, no, you didn't do Chuba. I'm going to remind him of it. Ten years after it happened. So now you're going to do Chuba for it. Or he reminds you, oh yeah, you had an uh, abortion. You had a girlfriend in high school. You got her pregnant. You didn't know. Now you had an abortion. You forgot about it. You're 35 years old. It happened 20 years ago. How are you going to do chuba abortion? The baby's dead. How are you going to do chuba? It's murder. It's 100% murder. How are you going to do chuba? You murdered somebody. Shem, why does Shem remind you of this? Just to torture you? No. It's chuba. What's chuba? First of all, you have to feel bad for it. You have to cry. You murdered somebody. You have to cry for it. Second of all, you have to get, Hashem, Bezat Hashem is going to get you to remember it or in a position where you're going to stop somebody else from committing that murder. Some lonely woman that uh, got herself pregnant or whatever, or some couple that doesn't have any emunah is going to come to you and say, listen, we're, we're planning on killing a baby. You know how many people like that come to me all the time? Not that I was some murderer in the past, but the point is, is that people like that come to me all the time. Some woman came to me, she said, I have an appointment to the abortion. When? A day before Yom Kippur. A day before Yom Kippur. A day before Yom Kippur, I have an appointment for an abortion. Shtabach Shimolaad, Hashem gave us the merit. I told, her, come to, I told my wife, tell her to come to our house. Sit here. With the husband, with not husband, with whoever. Just come. We sat with them for hours. Mamash, hours. Why? Money. They thought they're not going to have money, not going to have this, not going to have that. Baruch Hashem, we sat with them for hours. Hours and hours of time. That time and another time. It was months. Months of work. Baruch Hashem, a little baby is born, running around, loving life and everything. is getting alive and well. Alive and well. Rabbanit worked non-stop on this. Mamash, this was this, this little baby doesn't know what kind of pikuach nefesh she was in. Six months she wanted to murder the kid. Because when it's inside, it doesn't feel like a baby. It doesn't feel like a human being. It feels like there's something in you. You don't know what it is. There's something there. It doesn't feel like the little coochie, coochie, coochie that you play with at home. It feels like there's something there that's bothering you, makes you fat. Once it's out, it's a human being. In reality, it's still a human being inside. After 40 days, 100% human being. 40 days, 100% functional human being. 
People don't understand this. Why? Because they call it apala. In Hebrew, apala. Apala is like a fell. In English, it's like abortion. What's an abortion? Who knows? It's a big word. Who knows? It's nothing. It's nothing. It's just like they take it out of you. It's nothing. It's like a, it's like a peanut. They make it seem like it's a, not a big deal. So somebody did abortion 20 years ago. I didn't do tshuva. Shep's going to send him somebody. Listen, this woman wants to do abortion. Why? Because she doesn't think she has the money to have the kid. Okay, I'll give you the money. I'll give you the money. Go. <coughs> I'm just going to have that kid. $3,000. Okay, I'll borrow the money. I'll steal the money. I'll do something. I'll get the money. I'll pay for the kid. Really? Yes. That's how you do tshuva. That's how you do tshuva. You can't bring the kid back to life. But you can stop someone else from murdering. So Shem, during your tshuva, is going to take time. So now, how is that fire you have as a bal tshuva, that's what's going to save you if the Mashiach shows up before you finish your tshuva. Because Shem knows what's in your heart. That's one of the 13 principles of faith. He knows that if he would have given you this test, you would have passed it. Why? Because he knows what's in your heart. He knows. If I would have given him the way to do tshuva before that, he would have done it. Mashiach opened the door for him. Why? He's a real bal tshuva. It's a real bal tshuva. Now, the other question in regards to Baal Tshuva, Sephardi, Ashkenazi, whatever, doesn't necessarily matter if it's Sephardi or Ashkenazi, Baal Tshuva. Somebody wants to be Sephardi, but he's Ashkenazi. Somebody wants to be Ashkenazi, but he's Sephardi, whatever, vice versa. There's nothing to do with it. Though. In general, Chazal says you should, shouldn't steer away from your father. But if you feel like being where you are is making you uncomfortable, or you're not connecting, or turning your connection with Hashem, you have to find out the real reason of why you want to change. If it's just because you have more friends on the other side, that's not a real reason. If it's just because you like to pay as more of on the other side, that's not a real reason. It has to be a real reason. You can't be a Sephardi half the year and Ashkenazi the other half. You can't flip flap. But if you have a valid reason to change, change. If you have a valid reason to change, change. But it has to be a valid reason. It has to be valid. That's where the rough comes in. That's where the rabbi comes in. So, um, that's the next point. So to finish up, finish up, I don't know what time it is, but I think we've been on for a while. Oh, so, to finish up, okay, so at least it's not 5.40 in the morning, like last time I asked you guys. <laughs> <what I'm laughs> last time I told you guys we still have a little while left, it was 5.40 in the morning. So, oh, so, uh, yes. Yeah, go. I mean, this is from Sunday to Street to the Father, I think I was concerned about his, how the father, the father did not show myself as the father, the father does not follow any rule. Probably, mm-hmm. you grew up in this kind of environment. Uh, sure, sure. And this case, I think that you can choose whatever you want because you don't have any any tradition to follow because your father not show much because if your father is is a I mean Han is a Sadiq almost Sadiq is also somebody who follows his Shomashara I think you don't allow to do that. I don't know. Yes, well, I mean, the forefather, when they mean your father, it doesn't necessarily mean just your immediate father. It also means your grandfather that could have been a big rabbi or a great-grandfather. You, if you come, let's say, for example, your immediate father could be uh, a murderer, oh. but, your, but your grandfather is uh, the Khatam Sofil. So the reality is that, you know, you don't hold by this one, you hold by the, the other ones. But, again, if you live in a place <coughs> that makes you uncomfortable to be one way, 
and you want to be something else, you connect to it more, you connect to Hashem more, you're going to be a better Jew on the other side, do it, go with it. But again, there has to be a valid reason. Has not just I feel like it. Has to be a valid reason. Now, to um, to know the significance of the mitzvot, there's a lot of people because it makes a big deal of a difference in certain holidays. Like for example, uh, Pesach. Pesach is the biggest thing, you know, because on one side, on Ashkenazi side, and actually some Sephardi, like Moroccans, uh, consider rice chametz. Chametz. Okay, you know, chametz. Sephardi. If there's no rice, there's no Pesach. We love rice. So you understand? So you can't flip-flop. You can't say, no, on, on Pesach, I'm Sephardi, on the rest of the year, I'm Ashkenazi. You can't do that. No, that's not allowed. Not allowed. If you... He's not allowed. If you live in America the whole year, you have to keep American laws, even in Israel. Even if you go down vacation. Even if you're there for no, three he, months. So he's not, oh, now he's, he's Rasha and Merusha. No, he's not, he's not. He's making his own laws. A person like that is making his laws. A person like that, like Atuv Omer and Sefer Isaiah, the, the book of Isaiah, In his lip service, he gave me honors, but in his heart, he's very far from me. It's fakers. People make up their own laws. No, 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 I keep mitzvot, I keep holiday, I keep holiday. Why don't you keep the mitzvot of my sages, the Rabbanan? They said that if you live in the exile, you have to keep two days Yom Tov. No, no, I'm more connected to Hashem in Israel. But you don't live there. If you live there, well, fine. So that's a faker. There's a lot of fakers in the world. There's a lot of fakers in the world. So that's, the, so that's something that people need to stay away from. That's where the Yirat Shemaim comes from. That's where the Yirat Shemaim uh, comes from. But the reality is that all of the problems with Yirat Shemaim usually have to do with Gava, which is the basic foundation of all the stuff that we're talking about here. See, a person will dishonor his students because he thinks he's better than them. A person will dishonor his colleague because he thinks he's better than them. A person will dishonor his rabbi because he thinks he's better than him. It's all about having pride, thinking you're better than what you really are. In the Sefer uh, Mishle, Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 5, says, To'avat Hashem kol gvalev. Yad le'yad lo inake. Says, what's disgusting to Hashem? What's disgusting to Hashem? Anyone that has prideful heart. That's considered disgusting to Hashem. Says you have no reason whatsoever to be prideful. The body that you're prideful of, is eventually going to be in by maggots. The money that you're proud of, I gave you and you can't take it back. You can't take it to, with you to Allah about to eternity. The wisdom that you have and you think you have, I can easily take it away from you and make you senile. Make you have Alzheimer's. Make you have memory loss. So why, why, why are you so... Oh, you have good speeches? I can easily make you a mute. Do you know that Rabbi Ilel Mikalmaya? Lost his ability to speak twice in his life. Twice in his life he had a test. He wasn't able to speak. Imagine, world-renowned, top speaker, rebuker in the world, can't speak. Not only you're in Geno, but you have a kaparat avonot in Geno. Twice he had it in his life. And he had a test, he passed the test twice. He got his speech back. So Hashem sometimes gives it as a punishment, sometimes as a test. So... When it comes to being angry at Hashem, angry at Hashem 
for his tests, that means you're disconnected from Hashem. When you're angry at Hashem, that means you're disconnected from Hashem. And the reason why is because in order for you to be connected to Hashem, you need to know your role. You are the creation, which ultimately your goal as, a, as the creation, ultimately, alvai, you'll become Eved Hashem. What's the highest level of what a human being can possibly be is what Moshe Rabbeinu reached. What is that? Eved Hashem. Eved Hashem means servant of Hashem. Everything you do has Hashem in mind. You have no opinion. That's the ultimate goal of the creation. If you're angry at your master, that means you think you're the master. You think the master owes you something. You got the roles reversed. Who are you going to be angry at Hashem? What do you think he owes you something? What do you give him? What do you give him? What does he owe you? Who are you? This was the worst. This what I just told you right now was the first time I got rebuked by Rabbi Frank. Rabbi Frank doesn't rebuke often. But he rebukes, he tells you three words, kills you. One time I got upset. Something happened. I got upset at Hashem. Early Chuba, I got upset at Hashem. Ephraim loves Hashem. Ooh, he loves Hashem. Alvaya Lenu to love Hashem like he loves Hashem. Ooh, he loves I get upset at Hashem. Who do you think you are? He tells me. What does Hashem owe you? What do you give him? All of a sudden, like this guy never rebuked me in my life. Talk, talk. Shock. I got a heart attack, epilepsy, uh, tumor, seizures, everything. What what just happened here? Kodesh Kodashim just yelled at you. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I actually started thinking about who do I think I am? I asked him, who do I think I am? It was a real question. Who do I think I am? Being angry at Hashem? How do you have the right to be angry at Hashem? Do you know what Hashem is? Gives you everything. You're angry at it on top of it? You're lucky you're alive, Bechla. You know how many times you're supposed to kill you? That's the thing. When we have anger, that means we're disconnected. We're disconnected from reality. We're disconnected. If, we, if, we, if we're disrespecting our students, we're disrespecting Hashem. Because Hashem gave us the responsibility to take these neshamot from Genom to Gan Eden. You're responsible for these little neshamot, these pure neshamot, Hashem's children. You're responsible for them. You're disrespecting them. They're killing their confidence. You're going against Hashem. On the other hand, you have a chavuta, you have a colleague, you have somebody ask you for notes, ask you for help to give a lecture, ask you for a chizuk, but you're too egotistical, you're too selfish, you don't want to help him? It's because you love yourself, you're not doing what you're doing for, for, for Hashem, you're doing what you're doing for, for gava, for, for yourself, for profit, for, to get your own miracles. To answer your question... Is it better to live with a life of miracles or not? Either way, you live a life of miracles. Either way, you live a life of miracles. The only difference is whether you're paying attention to them or not. Are they open miracles or not? Are they individualistic miracles or not? Are they great that it's obvious for others to see or is it just for you to see? The point is, to see Hashem at work is extraordinary. There's no better life than that. Why? You're seeing Hashem talking to you, outright to you. Not through some... Uh, uh, a burning bush, but you see, the guy, okay, listen, you trust Hashem, Hashem says, I'm going to give you parnasah, I'm going to give you whatever parnasah I'm going to give you, but just know, whatever you spend on Shabbat, whatever you spend on mitzvot, whatever you spend on holiday, not including your parnasah, 
So we hold by this. We learned from Rabbi Ephraim, we learned from the Gemara, we hold by this. This holiday recently, Mamash, uh, cost us like, I don't know, 800 and something dollars. Food, this, that, whatever, all these different things, cost us 800 and something dollars. Now, we go spend. I don't look what's in the account. We go. We need, we take. We, what do we have? It's what we had. So anyway, holidays finishes. I go check the mail. We've had a lot of problems in the mail. All of a sudden I see there's two, uh, two envelopes, or three envelopes. Three envelopes. One of them is from some, uh, some student, send me Baruch Hashem, $400. So I said, oh, Baruch Hashem, half the, half the tefillah got accepted. Half the tefillah got accepted. The other one is $392. $392 from what? From some insurance deal I did 10 years ago. 10 years ago I did some insurance deal. I forgot about it completely. Forgot about it completely. Forgot there's any money due to me at all, nothing. Happened to happen, happened to show up at this time. They had some payment they wanted to pay me. I didn't even know they knew my address. New address. Point being, the point being is Hashem says, I'll pay you cash. I'll pay you cash. Just believe in me. You have no right to be angry at me. Now, do I prefer to have the cash show up like that or by me making 200000 a month? I can tell you from experience, I'd rather it show up like this. Why? It's so much more fun. It's so much more fun to see Hashem pay for your bills. It's so much more fun. So it's better, it's better, to, talk, it's better to listen to Hashem. So now when you are disrespecting your colleagues, you're disrespecting Hashem. Last but not least, when you disrespect your rabbi... You're disrespecting God. You're disrespecting God. This is Mamash, an atomic bomb. This is an atomic bomb to such an extent that if you just give you a last story and then you could ask any other questions you have that I didn't answer. The Magid Mizrich was the, uh, his Rav with the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov. And he had an extraordinary amount of fear of his master, of his, of his rabbi. But he never wanted his fear of his rabbi to be more than fear of God. Obviously, fear him as much as God, but not fear more than God. So one time, the Megidmi Mezrich was a Dayan in a case of a family member. Well, the, the person in the, in the case was a family member of the Baal Shem Tov. So he saw the Baal Shem Tov, his Rav, was in the crowd, in the seats over there. And he knew that the fact that his Rav is in the crowd, it may steer his decision. It may disturb his decision. It may hurt his gachamayim. So he smashed the hammer. It says, anyone, the, the court rules, anyone that has nothing to do with the case has to leave the court. So despite his fear of his rabbi, his fear of his rabbi, you know what's kicked his rabbi out and everybody else out of the court? Why? So he doesn't hurt his gachamayim. But to give you an idea of how much he feared his rabbi, one time he found the handkerchief, handkerchief of his rabbi. This handkerchief of his rabbi, and he saw there's a little bit of like smudge on it, something from his rabbi. Like the fact that there was something relevant to his rabbi, he saw it, he passed out. Passed out. Like to him, it was like his rabbi is right there. That's how much he's scared, he was scared of his rabbi. So again, the, the, the tzaddikim agdolim, they didn't get to become tzaddikim agdolim. They didn't become, uh, you know, just because they were smart. Has to be a combination. Has to be a combination. And the biggest thing is that we have to understand. Am Yisrael is in need right now. Am Yisrael is in big need. It's no, this need is no different than the Holocaust. 
no different than the Holocaust. In the days of the Holocaust, the Machshimah Vizicham, the Zionists, gave up on a million Jews. Gave up on a million Jews. Why? They didn't want to pay for it. It wasn't even their money. People donated this money. People donated this money. This Eichmann, the Machshimah was willing to sell a million Jews. Sell a million Jews. No, here's a million Jews. Give me some trucks. Give me some money. Give me some this. They said, no, we don't want them. Because they're this, and because they're that, and because they're this, and because they're that. It's not because we love, we don't have Eretz Yisrael because modern Israel, because we love Jews. No. They love themselves. Right now is not different. Right now is not different. Jews are still up for sale. Jews are still up for sale right now as we speak. 80% of Am Yisrael does not keep mitzvot. 80% of Am Yisrael does not keep Shabbat. 80% of Am Yisrael does not do Kriyat Shema. What's the, what gets them to do Kriyat Shema? Money. Why? Money gets the lecturer that tells them the truth from place to place. Go to California. Go to Tahiti. Go to Australia. Go to Jehennam. Go to wherever you can. There's Jews there, you go. People want to listen, you go. You can arrange a big event. Get 500 people to show up to get, actually do tshuva, you go. Not to give them teddy bears. Get them to do tshuva. What gets people to do tshuva? You got to speak to them. But unfortunately, to get to them sometimes costs money. That event, to get people to show up to a nine-hour lecture, I had to pay $300 for it. I had to pay. Not somebody paid me. Usually, somebody gives a lecture, you pay them a few thousand dollars. Some of these rabbis, they go to be bet knesset, you pay them $15,000 a lecture, $20,000 a lecture. You go help people do tshuva, to actually help them do tshuva, you have to pay them. Here's $300 worth of food. Come, guys, eat sushi, eat it, eat this. Just Come. That's Avat Israel. Sick, not sick, voice, no voice. Am Israel is in need. Am Israel is in need. What gets Am Israel to do tshuva? Get in front of them. You do Kiru videos. You give out CDs. You give lectures. Baruch Hashem, new application, new website, new movies. All this stuff costs money. What can get Am Israel to actually do tshuva? Am Israel is for sale. Who wants to buy? That's the question. To buying the, uh, the the name, to put your name plate on a zoo, 40000 would have already been donated via Facebook. If I said I'm selling a, a plate, you can put on the uh, Noahide Zoo. You can put your family name, Ilui Nishmat, whatever. 40000 would have been raised. I'm uh, opening another school like we need one. We need better teachers, not schools. I'm opening another school. 500000 would have been donated already. 500,000 on Facebook, on this, on that. 500,000. And it get tripled and quadrupled and this tripled and that tripled. Give me a school. I am opening another, uh, whatever, another uh, Hanukkah party. 40,000, 50,000. There's some uh, families in Israel need food. 100,000, 200,000, 500,000. Just go look at all these charity things. I'm saving neshamot, saving neshamot. I want to go, okay, these neshamot, you want to put in the schools. These neshamot, they're going to go to the Hanukkah party. These neshamot, they're going to go to the Purim party. These neshamot, they're going to go to the lectures. These neshamot, they're going to be Am Yisrael. I'm trying to save them. $20. Do you understand what's happening here? Am Yisrael is for sale, and it's no different than the Holocaust. It's no different. question is whether we're going to make the same decision. And say, no, no, it's not for us. It's not for us. You understand? Right. Question yet? Oh. Well, we, when you think about it, 
to be angry with Hashem. Um, I don't know. I, I saw that after Holocaust, I think it'd be, uh, you know, I don't have any memories. I don't have anybody from, from the Inquisition, but I think it happened. They have two verses. It's going to be like a second mark, becoming very, very, very two, very religious. And when somebody says suffering a lot, I say, come on, it's too much. I quit. To take naked day. So, I mean, some people, some people break when Hashem gives them a test. Some people become better. Shlomo Melech says a tzaddik falls seven times. Tzaddik falls seven times. And the, uh, the, the Rabbanim Akdoshim, Chazal tells us only a fool thinks that a tzaddik needs to fall seven times. Only a fool. What Shlomo Melech is trying to tell us there is that a tzaddik is going to go through life. It's going to have tests. It's going to have ups. It's going to have downs. But the seven times that he falls, that's not the focus. Each fall, he's using that as leverage to get higher. Each time he falls, he sees that it's Hashem doing him a favor. Hashem is smashing him in the face to make him a better looking diamond. Hashem is giving him a bigger test to make him a better one, a better. That's what we learned a few months ago in Tehillim. Tehillim, if you remember, we did a shiur in Miami group. In Tehillim, David Melech says to Hashem, "Shiftecha mishantecha inayechamuni." The your uh, staff and your stick in your staff—that's what gives me comfort. What does it mean your stick in your staff? Stick hits you. Staff directs you. Why is it both? Why do you say, listen, the staff is good, not the stick. He says, no, no. First I know you're hitting me. Then you're directing me. Why? Because you're my shepherd. You're not hitting me just to hit me. You're not hitting me just to hit me. He's not punishing us with a holocaust just to punish us. He's not punishing us with an inquisition just to punish us. He's not punishing us with uh, with some type of disease just to punish us. He's punishing us to direct us. So, in the days of the Holocaust, unfortunately, what I heard actually of Avigdor Milil, Allah Shalom himself says, he says, I was in the Holocaust. He goes, I was in the Holocaust. You can't tell me what happened. I was there. I was in the Holocaust. I saw it. He says, Hashem did chesed for Am Yisrael by making the Holocaust. He did chesed for Am Yisrael. Why? If Am Yisrael continued the sins they were making, there would be no Am Yisrael. It would be worse than killing the bodies. Why? The amount of assimilation that was happening and the amount of atheism due to Zionism and all this other stuff that was happening in that generation before the Holocaust, it was only a matter of time where there was not going to be an Am Yisrael. So by using the, the stick at that moment, he saved Am Yisrael. As painful as that is to say, as painful as that is to experience, as painful as that is to know, it's a reality. And it's not the first time he did it. And unfortunately, not the last time. Same thing happened in Inquisitions. Same thing happened in the Bet HaMikdash. Same thing happened in the second Bet HaMikdash. Same thing happened in Egypt. Same thing happened throughout all of history. All of history, Hashem Barach had to hit us in order to direct us. That's a reality. Am Yisrael does not do tshuva by itself. No one just wakes up and does tshuva. 
wakes up in the morning, oh, how wonderful is the day. I'm going to do tshuva. What's tshuva? I'm going to do tefillin today. Do you know what tefillin are? No, but it sounds like a cool word. I'm going to put some, I'm going to take some cow skin and put it around my arm. And you know what? On top of that, I'm going to cover my head with a silly looking little hat. And you know what? On top of that, I'm going to take out the five earrings I have. And on top of that, I'm going to leave the non-Jewish girlfriend that I have. And on top of that, I'm going to stop stealing. Because even though my bank has, account keeps growing every month, it's not right to steal. And none of the, all of a sudden, you change your life and become a human being? Why? Why? Why change? Sin is fun. Stolen water are sweet, as Shlomo HaMelech says. Maim gnuvim imtaku. The stolen water is sweeter. What do you mean? Water is water. No, the fact that you stole it, your Yetzirah says that one tastes better. It's the same water. Same well, same everything. Because you stole it, your Yetzirah tells you it tastes better. It's mm-hmm. better for you. So the sin tastes good, even though at the end it's bitter. Even though at the end it's the worst. But for now, it looks the greatest. So what's going to make you change? All of a sudden you want to go leave Amalek and his friends in Las Vegas and go to the Kolel instead. Why? Why do tshuva? For what? If it's not for Yirat Shemaim, it's not happening. Why would you get Yirat Shemaim? Why all of a sudden you're afraid of this God you didn't care about your whole life, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? You didn't care about Him for 50 years. Why all of a sudden you care? Because you had a dream? No, because He hit you. He took away your money, took away your wife, took away a kid, took away something, took away your health. He made you realize you're nothing. In reality, the whole time you were nothing. You were just living an illusion. You were in a matrix. You thought you were something. He finally reminds you, hey, by the way, you're nothing. I'm in control. I'm the boss. Eventually you're going to have to meet me. So now you're scared. I go, this health thing. i got to start appreciating before I don't, you know, before it gets too bad. i got to start losing weight. i got to start eating better. i got to start asking Hashem for a miracle to keep me alive. i got to start doing better. I gotta start doing better. My wife wants to leave me. I gotta start doing better. I gotta treat her better. My kids are murderers, one after another. I have only one little kid left. I gotta start doing better. At least save this one kid. I gotta start doing better. You start realizing bad things start happening in your life. God tells you, hey, you're nothing. You're nothing. And you say, oh, you know what? You're right. You're right. I need you. I need you. As Fidel, our dear friend and student, Hashem Ishmoto, he's in Nesiyat Cuba right now, visiting his family, and he says he volunteers, Tzadik, he volunteers at a hospice center. He says in the hospice center, even the atheist is religious. In the hospice center where everyone's about to, about to die any day, everyone's religious. The atheist comes and asks me for bracha. He asked me for blessing. The atheist. His whole life he was atheist, but he knows he's about to meet his maker. He knows he's about to meet his creator. You still care about the fancy watch? When you're in your deathbed? You still care about the Bentley you have in the parking lot that you can't drive anymore? On a deathbed? Can't take it with you. So fear of Hashem is the foundation of everything. But it all starts, this is chapters to it. You don't get to the highest level of Yerat Shemaim overnight. Mm-hmm. It takes time. Now, Am Yisrael needs you. 
Amisa needs every single person, every single person, because to show Hashem that you're even connected to Him, not just fear, you're connected to Him, connected to Him at all. How can you show up to your master, to your creator, and say, by the way, Hashem, I was really, really scared of you, but the fact that I let a million of your sons and daughters die, and I didn't do anything about it. Don't gain home, because I didn't feel like donating 50 bucks. I didn't feel like donating $500. I felt like keeping everything to myself. I want to stash up my bank account as a collectible. I told you guys a story yesterday. It was a continuation to that story. Remember I told you there's a uh, Avrech. Tamit Chacham, serious Tamit Chacham. And uh, so much having a difficult financial situation to get 500 bucks a month. We try to send money to Avrechim every month, Baruch Hashem. This is the organization. It's part of what we do. And uh, But there's just so much you can do. We don't get that much. But we try. We try, Baruch Hashem, a few thousand dollars every month. We try to do whatever you can. But um, anyway, so this Avrech needed some extra help. So uh, the person that uh, gave the money said, listen, he owes this much. I don't have $15,000, whatever he owes. It's like 50,000 shekels, which is like twelve, thirteen thousand dollars 13000 I don't have that much, but I'll give, I have $3,000 in the bank. I'll give two. Yeah, well, you have bills. You don't have to give $3,000. You don't have to give $2,000. You have $3,000 in the bank. Give 100 bucks. Give 50 bucks. Give $200, whatever. You don't need to give two-thirds of what you have in the bank. You have bills, too. Yeah, yeah, of course I have bills. I have a lot of bills coming up. But they're coming up. They're not here today. Right now, right now, I don't need the money. Right now, I have this money in my bank doing nothing. It's doing nothing. At least it's going to do something. That was the story yesterday. So the story continues today. So the party that they received, they felt a little uncomfortable. Oh, it's a lot. Are you sure? Is this? So the guy says, listen, I don't have as many mitzvot as you. I don't have so many mitzvot. Why are you ruining my mitzvah? You have so many mitzvot. You learn Torah all day. Every letter in the Torah is a mitzvah. How many mitzvot do you have every day? 600,000, 700,000 every day? I don't have that many mitzvot. Why are you ruining my mitzvah? I gave, a car- well, I gave you garbage. I gave you a piece of paper I don't even feel. It's in the bank. I gave you garbage, so I get mitzvot for it, and you're ruining it for me. Why do you care? Go on your mitzvot. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. I gave you garbage, and I'm going to get mitzvot for it. You're actually learning. What did I give you? I gave you garbage. Get a piece of paper. What am I going to do with them? Collect them? What is it? Stamps? I'm going to collect them like a, like a stamp collector. You know, some people collect stamps. What am I going to do with all this money? I don't need it right now. I need money down the road, a week from now, a month from now, whatever it is. Now I don't need it. Just like Hashem gave me. When I don't need it, He's going to give me when I need it. So why are you ruining it for me? You need it right now. So Hashem gave it to me for you. What do you care? What are you getting in the way for? So people have people have stacks of money sitting in bank accounts, in stock accounts, in IRA accounts, in this account, in so many accounts they don't even know. Oh yeah, I forgot about you. Remember, you've been in the business, in the business world. All these clients will tell me, oh, you know what? I forgot. I have this account at Fidelity. It's a small account. I have like ah, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. 
You just forgot about $15,000. You know how many people forgot about $5,000, $10,000, twenty? They forgot about it. I had one guy, he goes, oh, many times, man, we used to have very rich clients. He goes, yeah, I had this small account. It's half a million dollars sitting in this account. Whatever, if you want to play with it, go. I have a small account. But I'm not talking about the rich people. I'm talking about regular average Joes. Everybody has this money they don't really need. They're saving for that rainy day that didn't happen. They're saving for the mabul. They're saving for Noah's flood. The reality of it is, it's not going to help you once it's flooding. Don't be a raya shatya. Don't be a Noah that started crying after the mabul. The money helps you if you use it before the mabul happens. You understand? This is why this shiur should be called Jews are for sale. Because Jews are for sale. Mamash, Jews are for sale. This is no different than the Holocaust. There's no different than the Holocaust. There was for sale back then in body. They're for sale now even more with soul. What's going to get them to do tshuva? I'm excited. People that care. How do we know if we care? This Mishnah taught us. You care about your students. You care about your colleagues. You care about your rabbi. You care about Hashem. You care at all. You care. If you care, you have a respect. You do something. If not, enjoy shiurim. Use as entertainment. It's not going to help. Any other questions? Oh, adoption. I didn't answer adoption. Everything else I didn't answer. Oh, what else? Yeah. Oh, go. Yes. Schut avot, the real schut of avot is Avraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. And the Zohar Kadosh says that, I think it's in Parashat Turma, the Zohar says that at the end of times, before Mashiach comes, there's going to be so many sins that we've made as a generation, as a people, that we're going to use up all of our schut avot all of the merits of our forefathers, whether that's the merit of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov that's been carrying us for 4,000 years, or it's the merits of Moshe and Aaron, or it's the merits of David Melech and Shlomo, or it's the merits of grandfather and grandpa. Whoever it is, apparently we're going to run out of it. Meaning, what's going to help us? Our own merits. Our own tshuva. Uba litzion goel, pesha Yaakov. Who's the goel going to come and save? He's going to save the one that used to be a poshea, the one that used to be a criminal against God. And did Shuba? He's going to help him. Him he's going to help. The one that's a Moser Nefesh, the one that's sacrificing his life for Hashem. Sacrificing his this world for Hashem. For Hashem and his first people. Meaning, sacrificing your life doesn't necessarily mean just literally putting your life on the line like Rabbi Akiva did or some of the sages. Sacrificing your life meaning you're sacrificing your Olam Azeh, this world. You're not, cha- <coughs> Excuse me. You're not chasing money non-stop. You're not chasing women non-stop. You're not chasing your friends non-stop. You're not chasing the materialistic world that we have right now. No one says you have to be poor. And no one says that you have to be homeless. 
But if your priority in life is the materialism of this world, you still have a long way in your tshuva. You have a long way in your tshuva. So, again, it's a uh, these each one of these sages that was able to revive the dead chooses to give us a very very basic foundational shiur. Each one of these mishnayot is very simple technically, but you see that each one is another huge boulder that builds a foundation, builds the foundation of your connection to Hashem. Because when you have a good solid foundation, you don't need to look elsewhere. You don't need to do anything else. You have something to stand on. So when Hashem gives you a tikkun, Hashem gives you a test, you're going to hold strong. You're not going to fall. The people that fell in the past, whether it be through Holocaust or Inquisitions or personal tests that they had with cancer and disease and money and so on, it's not because of God. It's because of them. They didn't have a good foundation. Sometimes they look really religious. Sometimes they could have possibly been very religious. But unfortunately, there was something in there that was rotten. Something in there that, that broke the chain. Usually, the strength of the chain is only shown by its weakest link. Something there was wrong. Could have been the rabbi. Could have been the uh, their own emunah issues they never worked on. Could be a musar. You're not here to judge anybody that passed on in previous generations. The point is, is that something went wrong. It's definitely not God. The 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 um, the missing link is us. Something happened. It's on our end. It's not on Hashem. Hashem never lacks. Hashem is never missing anything. He never did anything wrong. Because remember, he doesn't know us anything. He doesn't know us anything. So that's 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 the uh, you know when it answers as far as the adoption issue, when you realize that you have technically eighty percent of Am Yisrael that you can adopt right now by helping them do tshuva, you don't need to worry about going. This doesn't mean that you go out there and you ignore goyim. If you have goyim that want to convert, help them. If you have goyim that want to become Noahites, help them. If you have an opportunity to help them, help them. But it can never take priority over a Jew. If you have, <coughs> if you have 500 goyim, nice people, wonderful people, donate. Each one wants to donate $1,000. You come give them a lecture. Or you have one guy, Jewish guy, 20 years old, Needs an hour of your time. Needs two hours of your time. It's not going to donate anything. Not going to donate anything. Ten dollars is not going to donate. And if, if anything, is going to ask you for a loan. You have to go help him. Why? He's obligated by all of the mitzvot. They're not. They're obligated by fewer mitzvot. They can reach another way. They don't, you don't need to go speak to them. You don't need to give them a lecture. You can if you want, but you have to help him first. It can never be <coughs> the cost of a Jew. You can never lose one Jew to save the goyim. So again, we try to help the goyim as much as possible. Baruch Hashem, we've been able to be successful with it. But uh, for those people that contribute the majority of their life to uh, these Noahide causes, they're mistaken. They're mistaken. And the reason why they're mistaken is because 80% of Am Yisrael ran away from home. 80% of Hashem's kids ran away from home. And you have a chance to bring them back. But instead, you're telling them that you're not going to bring them back. You're going to bring somebody other kid back. This doesn't say that the other kid is bad. But it's not the chosen one. So it makes sense. So, it's it. <coughs> yeah. What is the review 
Mikalmaya. That's the town he lives, yeah. It's not that they stop going around. It's not that they stop going around. Is uh, if you read, there's a. Um, if you don't mind, give me some water or something to drink. Mm-hmm. I'm dying. Oh, there's mine. Oh, it's a and Oli Israel um, is the uh, compilation of uh, different um, <coughs> shurim and letters that Rabbi Israel Misalant gave. He lived about 200 years ago. And in the, be- in the beginning of Oli Israel, you see that uh, maybe 100 or so pages were written actually by one of his students, one of his key students, his protege, Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer. And Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer uh, already wrote, follows his teacher, and he writes about the time, a little bit of, obviously, Musav, but he also talks about history, what was happening. And in essence, what he was teaching there, one of the lessons that he learned from Rabbi Yitzchak Salant is that even already 200 years ago, Rabbi Yitzchak Salant said that, Baruch Hashem, the amount of doctors that we have is at least as numerous as the amount of diseases we have. Meaning, cold, we have this antibiotic, that antibiotic, this antibiotic, this doctor can give it to you, that doctor can give it to you. Because science has advanced drastically in his age already. Imagine if he was alive today. Now there's a pharmacy in every corner and there's a medicine for every sneeze. So he says the amount of uh, doctors that we have is at least as much as the amount of illnesses we have, except the spiritual illness. So in the spiritual illness, we have a growing amount of spiritual illnesses, but no doctors. No one wants to be the doctor. And the reason why is because no one wants to give the only medicine, there's only one medicine available. What's the medicine available? Teaching Musar in order to get Yirat Shemaim. That's the only medicine. There's no other medicine. There's no Gemara. There's no Zohar. There's no uh, Mishnayot. There's no... Uh, nothing. Musar to get Yirat Shemaim. The only medicine to fix the spiritual disease. The Rambam. The Rambam in Shmona Prakim says someone is a sinner is someone that's spiritually sick. Spiritually sick. He's not physically sick. He's spiritually sick. So when someone is physically sick, everything tastes opposite to him. So for example, something that's sweet can potentially taste bitter to them. Something that's bitter, like usually most medicine is disgusting. Most medicine is disgusting to a healthy person. To a sick person, it's not as disgusting. Because his taste buds are off. His taste buds are off. Sometimes his vision is off. Sometimes his mind is is off. He's when he's sick, he's off. When he's physically sick, the Rambam says when someone is spiritually sick, he's also off. He thinks that the sins are good for him. He thinks that the sins are fun. He thinks that the sins 
of what he needs. He's off. He's spiritually sick. So Rabbi Yisrael Misalad, his student, his student Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer, wrote, is one medicine, Ashrech, Ashrech, Hashem Yavarech Otach, Yitzchak Pacha, Aslacha, Parnasat Tova, Chayim Ha'okim, Shlemim, Meleim Torah, Mitzvot, Gminut Chasadim. So, the, um, imagine if all of you would have made tea. So, so, the, um, Rabbi Yitzhak Blazer says that we have a medicine. We have a medicine. It's like me saying to you right now, ladies and gentlemen, Rabbutai, I have the cure for AIDS. AIDS killed millions of people, continues to kill people, not as many as they used to be. But still, people die all the time from AIDS. I have a cure. Not only that, I have a cure for cancer too. What kind of cancer? Anything you want. Pick. Pancreatic cancer, breast cancer, this cancer, that cancer, the cancer you know about, cancer you don't know about. You cure for know. cancer. Cure for cancer, cure for AIDS, cure for toothache, cure for everything you want. Cure. Have a cure. Same cure for all of them. Free. Too good to be true. I have it. I give it to you. Works. I show you an example. Here, this guy, Tzadik, look. What happened? Cured. This guy took the medicine, he's cured. Everybody says, nah, we're going to try something else. We're going to try something else. We're going to try to see if maybe somebody else is going to come with a better cure. Who's crazy, you or me? Just give you a cure. That's the problem. That was already happening 200 years ago. Rabbi Yitzhak Blazer is saying, we have the cure. We have the cure. No one wants to be the doctor. It's not that no one wants the medicine. No one wants to be the doctor. The patients don't know that they're sick. The patients don't know that they're sick, so why are they going to... They don't even think they're patients, Michlal. Why don't they think they're patients? Because no one wants to be the doctor to tell them that they're patients. No one wants to give them a diagnosis. Why? There's no money. There's no money in rebuking people. You don't get to become popular. Human nature hasn't changed. En chadas tachat Hashemesh, Shlomo HaMelech. Allah Shalom said in Kohelet, nothing new under the sun, nothing. Chazal prayed to Hashem. Said Hashem Barach, this Avodah Zarah, you got to cancel it out. We can't do it. These statues, they're walking, they're moving. We gotta, you got to cancel this decree out. And Gemara says, Chazal prayed, and Hashem removed Am Yisrael's ta'ava for statues, for Avodah Zarah. So the question my Rav and I were talking about today, we we're learning today, how is it that people worship money? Exactly like Avodah Zarah. They chase money exactly like Avodah Zarah. They value money exactly like Avodah Zarah. Exactly like idol worship. They even write on a dollar bill in God we trust, but they believe that the dollar is God. How could it be if Chazal writes in the Gemara 
that they ask and they pray to Hashem to remove Avodah Zarah, the craving for Avodah Zarah, the desire for Avodah Zarah, and it says they got it. How could it be? Because when they prayed, the Gemara says, when they prayed for Hashem to remove the desire for uh, you know sex crimes, Arayot, Hashem said, removed all desire for intimacy, but then they saw that this is not good for them. Why? Because even the chicken wouldn't lay an egg. Meaning even the animals didn't want to be together. You can't bring kids to the world. So they said, okay, bring it back. We'll deal with this Yetzirah. But Avodah Zarah, it says that they asked for Hashem to remove Avodah Zarah and they got it. So how could it be? How could it be that people are still worshipping their money? Chidush is, is that Hashem removed the desire for that specific Avodah Zarah, meaning the statue. No one actually prays to some dumb statue they bought from Chinatown for $15. But the whole concept of Avodah Zarah was not removed because the Yetzirah himself is too smart and he fooled everyone. He says, if Hashem wants to remove Avodah Zarah, He's going to have to remove a verse from the Torah. Which verse of the Torah? Well, Hashem Itbarach in Sefer Dvarim says, after you sinned, you're going to go to the four corners of the world. And over there, you're going to worship the God of man and so on. But what gods are you going to worship? Eloia Kesev, Eloia Zav. You're going to worship the God of money, God of gold. God of money, God of gold. Can't change the Torah. Therefore, you can't remove this Zerah. Therefore, you still have people worshipping their money. So, yes, the Avodah Zerah they were worshipping at that time was removed. But the Avodah Zerah was still worshipping today. It's not removed. It's not removed. That's why Am Yisrael is for sale. Am Yisrael is for sale because the only way that we could buy it is with what we're worshipping, with this Avodah Zerah. That's the price. We have to leave the God of money, the God of gold, and how much we value it, and how much we pray for it, and how much we worship it. We have to start worshiping Hashem. Because you see it even in your tefillot. When it comes to Kaddish, it's one of the most embarrassing things in the world is going to Biknesed and see the Keilah talking in the middle of Kaddish. In the middle of praising Hashem, they're talking to each other about baseball, basketball, business, this, that, the other thing. They're talking about a bunch of nonsense. But, but, sometimes the Kaddish, the full Kaddish, it says a uh, couple of words where it says, Rebach v'atzlacha. When it says, have profit. Anytime it says the word profit, everybody starts, stops talking and they say that word extra loud. Rebach Israel. Why? Everybody wants profit. Everybody wants money. When it comes to money, it comes to money, everybody stops the phone calls, stops this, stops that. You know, when it comes to Amidah, everybody wants to finish in two seconds. But when it comes to Ptichat we say David Amelech, the Teilim, David Amelech, Ptichat Echad, everybody has full Kavanah. Everybody's moving like the Chassid from Breslev. Kavanah, Parnasa, Parnasa, for money, for money. Why? Eloi Akesef, Eloi Azav. So the way to beat our the God of money, the God of gold, this, this idol worship that we have, unfortunately still 
infiltrating our people is by using this thing we chase so much in order to get Amisa back to come to Hashem. And again, there is a, a lot of work to do. One of the main things that we need to do is expand the Kiruv, expand the amount of lectures, expand the amount of CDs, distributions. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing is to expand the reach, meaning get more people to do this. Get more people to speak the truth. You know a little Torah? You have the ability to speak? Go give shiurim. Get five people, give them a shiur. Get ten people, give them a shiur. You don't know anything? Read. Read what it says in Pirkei Avot. Read the Musar book. Or get ten people, watch the shiur live. That's what we're doing as a place in, uh, in New York. There's a place in New York. We got them a, uh, uh, a projector. Couple hundred dollars, we sent it to them. <coughs> now they're streaming the shiurim. When we're playing it on Facebook, somebody connects the phone to the projector, and the kila, a few people in the kila, come to the Bekneset, and they watch the shiur at the Bekneset. So you get your kila in Colorado, your kila in Arkansas, your kila in Arizona, your kila in wherever to watch shiur. That's like you have a rabbi over there that's doing kiruv. If you could talk yourself, it's it's good also. If you can bring the rabbi there, it's good also. The point is replicating it, doing more. Because me, Rabbi Zrachi, a couple of other people out there that tell the truth, not enough. <coughs> the point that we would get funds, <coughs> not a matter of your salary or not, when the Hashem is punished, they don't, they don't distinguish anything. Everybody goes there. Exactly. Always have. So that's that's the thing. Let's see. It's people need to understand that if no one can just worry about themselves anymore, no one can just worry. No, no, I'm okay. I'm learning. I'm doing my own thing. No one can just worry about themselves. Everybody is in the same boat. Whether you're keeping everything or you're not keeping everything, the fact that you have somebody that you know that's not that's not religious, the fact that you have somebody connected to you that's disconnected from Hashem. <coughs> Hashem connected them to you for a reason. Hashem connected them for you for a reason. They're not just connected to you for no reason. They're not just the guy that you met at the gym. They're not just the guy that you met at work for no reason. They're in your life for a reason. They're in your life for you to get them close to Hashem. How? Whatever way. It could be with a CD. It could be with you bringing them into a lecture. It could be you teaching them. It could be a million and a half things. The point is, every single p- person in your life is in your life for a reason. Nothing is happenstance. Nothing. There's no such thing. So, for all of those people that have a relative, have a brother, have a sister, have a cousin, have a parent, have a neighbor, have a colleague, have a doctor, have a lawyer, have somebody, they don't live on some island by themselves. They're with the rest of civilization. <coughs> <clears throat> and thereby they're connected to people, they need, they need to realize, they need, they need to start looking at them like prospects, like key of prospects. I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch uh, cartoons, Looney Tunes. And Looney Tunes used to be a cartoon, Bugs Bunny. 
Bugs Bunny, there's one of these uh, cartoons, I must have watched it a thousand times, where he was a, uh, these two guys were off a ship, and uh, they got into this island where Bugs Bunny was, and they were really hungry. So everything they looked at started looking like food. The fat guy looked at the skinny guy, and he looked like a uh, hot dog. The skinny guy looked at the hot at the fat guy, and he looked like a burger. The, and everything started looking like food. Bugs Bunny was the actual, they thought he was the food, and well, it was funny, funny cartoon. And when someone is connected to Hashem, he has to start looking at everyone like that. Not like a hamburger, but like a Kiruv prospect. This guy could be an Avrech. This guy could be a Magichu. This guy could be a part of a Keilah. This guy could be a good Jew. This woman could be a Balat Chesed. This woman could arrange Shurim. This woman could be... Start looking at everybody as pieces in the big puzzle of Am Yisrael. Why? Because you're chasing it for Hashem. One of the greatest Kiruv personalities in history, in all of history, at least in history that I know of, is Rav Nisim Yagen. I love Hashem. Rav Nisim Yagen, you listen to his lectures, aside from him being a huge Tamit Chacham, could have been one of the Gdolei Ador. I mean, he was no exceptional Tamit Chacham. Every Shiur Chidushim, something amazing. But he lived like this. He would make people do tshuva in the middle of the street. Aside from giving lectures and big events and so on, any opportunity he was next to a person, he'd measure them up, he'd look at them, whether it's a hamburger or a hot dog or what he's going to be, and Mamash, he'd get them, and he would walk around with a what he would call a uh, life uh, a lifeline uh, bag. What's a lifeline bag? Bag with tfil- set of tefillin, mezuzot. Tzitzit, Tanakh, all the basics you need to be a Jew. Kisui Rosh for a woman, Kippa, all the basics. He would call a lifeline bag. So what, <coughs> all of his lectures, he tells stories about these different people who helped do Tshuva. He says, one time, I'll finish with this, my voice is really going, and I'm sure you guys are tired. Um, but if you're not tired, then I'll go, it doesn't matter about my voice. Uh, so, uh, Anyway, he tells a story. He says, one time, he ordered a little closet for his daughter. Closet. Put clothes in. A couple of people came to the house. One guy was doing the work. The other guy was telling the other guy what to do. So the first guy that was doing all the work gave him some cake. And he said, you want to do me a favor before you eat the cake? He goes, yeah. Wait for him. Sure, I'll do it for him. No problem, the guy is completely secular. Nothing you want to feel. That's feeling, not anti. You get feeling. The other guy is telling him what to do. He's laying down on the floor in Rabbi Nisimi again's house. Like it's his house. He's laying down on the floor. Rabbi Nisimi again comes to him. And he tells him, before he starts talking, hey, not doing feeling, not doing this, leave me alone. I got my own thing. You do your thing. Leave me alone. I got questions. You don't have any answers for me. He goes, what do you care? What? What's, you want cake? He goes, yeah, I'll take some cake. He goes, okay, so do feeling before cake. He goes, no, I'm not doing feeling. He goes, why not? What are you, anti? You hate God? He goes, no, I don't, I don't believe in that. He goes, what do you, what do you want? He goes, I have a question. 
I'm going to kill you with this question. I'm going to make you secular with this question. So I don't, don't, don't bother me. Leave me alone. He goes, how about this? Now, Mr. Gaz says to him, must. He says, how about this? I tell you that I have an answer for your question. But not only do I have an answer for your question, I know your question. Before you tell me your question, I know your question. No. Your question is, if God is so great, so powerful, why can't he make a rock, a boulder, that's even too heavy for him to pick up? If he's so great, then he shouldn't be limited. So if he's so great, then why can't he make a rock that he can't pick up? So that means he's limited. And therefore, he's limited. So the guy was in shock. The guy was in shock. He goes, how do you know the question? He goes, I swear to you, that was the question I had. So Amnesty again says to him, now I already knew your question. You think I don't know the answer? He goes, okay, so what's the answer? He says, the answer is, if someone was, for example, very, very rich, very rich, rich, well, you could buy anything. You could buy countries. You could buy America. You could buy Arkansas. You could buy states. You could buy government. I mean, he had all the money in the world. The ocean full of money was just one of his bank accounts. You could buy anything you want. You could buy countries, states, the world, everything. Now, the fact that there's nothing that he can't afford, there's nothing that he can't afford, is that a limitation or is that actually a symbol of his significance, of his success? Because it's a symbol of his success. It's a symbol of his significance. It's BDUK, exactly. The fact that Hashem is so great that he can't even limit himself is a symbol of his significance, of his glory. It's not a limitation. He goes, give me the tefillin. Give me the tefillin. Now the question is, why didn't we think about this when the guy was delivering the closet to our house? Why didn't we think about this when the guy came to fix our water or fix our dishwasher or fix something? Some secular Israeli guy comes to your house or secular American Jew guy comes to your house and he's fixing something. Why didn't we think, oh, you know what? Maybe I could tell this guy to do tshuva, do tefillin. Maybe I could help this guy do tefillin. He's secular, he's a Jew though. Why don't we think like that? Because when our Rav Nisim again, what he sees, everybody's a prospect. Everybody's a prospect to become Chayal Hashem, a soldier of Hashem. So it's easy to do that. Easy. You don't even have to do it speaking. You have a Jew. You have a, take a CD. Here you go. Rabbi Yerun Ruven, Wall Street to Western World. What's it about? It's really interesting. Telling you is, is not, not going to do it justice. Just listen to it. It's interesting enough to get the guy to listen to it. Once he puts it in, you've done your job. You're finished. You're finished. You gave the CD, you're finished. You sent the lecture to a guy. He clicked on it, you're finished. You're finished. You did what you had to do. He doesn't want to click on it, send again and again and again. Keep going, keep going, but don't give up. But you did your job. Your job's so easy. It's so easy to get people to do tshuva. I get people to do tshuva every day. Every day you send them a video, you send them a lecture, you give them a phone call. It's so easy to get people to do tshuva. You don't need to go chase people that are so hard that want to, you know, debate everything. You don't need to debate anyone. 
so easy. Am Yisrael wants Hashem, wants answers. Give it to them. They need to care. Stop worshiping money. Stop worshiping money. Start start worshiping Hashem. Beisat Hashem will take the chokhmah of Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua and all the things, all the wisdom we learned from Parashat Noach, all the wisdom from your own questions. Beisat Hashem will help us do tshuva. Get Am Yisrael to do tshuva. Get Am Yisrael to mamash get closer to Hashem Barach, the way Hashem Barach wants, the way Hashem Barach expects us to. Without Hashem, see the Mashiach in our days out of goodness and not out of the other options. Amen.